Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Andrew Patterson, Michael Remus with you and uh, oh, lots to get to after a white knuckle ride last night at Mile High. Jets beating the Colorado Avalanche 4-3 in overtime on a game-winning smoker from Neil Pionk. We'll get to all of that and get ready for another big one tonight as the Jets finish up this road trip looking to make it two of three and two in a row against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's going to be a real fun show. We're going to talk Jets and more around the National Hockey League with one of our favorites, Mike Kelly of the NHL Network. Ken Weave is going to join us from Denver on his way to Vegas, and we will go to Sin City and hook up with our old pal Gary Lawless before tonight's game between the Jets and the Golden Knights. Uh, just before we bring in Michael Remus, had a big shout-out to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day, including Princess Auto, Cool Bet, Not Auto Corp, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, F Apparel, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Little Brown Jug, Culligan Water, Wallace & Wallace, Vita Health, and, of course, our friends over at Consolidated Supply, and, of course, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club. Uh, oh, and of course, Remus is going to want to talk about jerseys because the reverse retros have been thrown out today. And we'll uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But uh, without further ado, let's bring in Remo and get this show on the road. Uh, it's quite the game last night, Remo. And uh, hey, the fact of the matter is Jets, a huge two points early in the season. I think it's a big confidence builder for the club. And uh, as I said, it was a little hairy at times, but that's what happens when you're playing against the best team in the National Hockey League. Held on in the third period, got it to OT, and a very interesting overtime period that didn't last very long got the Jets a big two points. What's going on? Yeah, feeling good here. Always in a good mood after a win. The mood in this, uh, in the chat, and you know, after Monday's loss to Dallas wasn't great. Nothing to be too excited about, but going into Colorado. You know, you get off to the two nothing lead. I think you're you're pumped, you're excited, but you've also been like, you know what? I'm I've seen this before. We all remember last year when the Jets were up three nothing on Colorado and ended up losing it. It almost happened again. We were getting text. Oh, I've seen this episode before. Is this is this a repeat? But no, uh, Winnipeg Jets taking it to overtime. And I got to be honest, when I saw uh, who was starting in overtime, Appleton, Lowry, and Pionk, I was like. The hell are they doing? Are they trying to lose here? I was telling my, I was telling my wife this isn't going to go well. Uh, they're play, going up against what McCarr, McKinnon, and Rantanen. That's not a recipe. There was a method to the madness, Remus. A method to the madness. No. And then, of course, Neil Pionk, his second of the game, the OT winner. I mean, you got to be have a big smile on your face and feeling pretty good. The Jets went toe to toe with the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I don't think they're as good as they were when they won the cup, missing Landis Cog, uh, Kadri off to Calgary, Burkowski, Seattle. So, and of course, Darren Helm, not, not there. The fourth line, not exactly NHL um, regulars, but hey, you got the two points, feeling pretty good. We talked, I know I'm going to the buffet now. We talked about, say a lot, let's talk about secondary scoring. You saw uh, Dubois, Wheeler, and Perfetti getting it on the action. Lots of like from last night, Hus, lots of like. You know what? It, it really listen. This is one of the biggest tests that you know teams are going to get, and in the Central Division, the Colorado Avalanche are the standard right now. Well, frankly, in the entire National Hockey League, they're the standard. Yeah, you mentioned. I mean, they have had some changes. I think they're still clearly 
the best team in the in the central division right now and i think you could definitely make the argument in the western conference and hey there's a reason why they're the stanley cup favorites to win the whole thing um but you know coming off a disappointing well a particularly disappointing kind of mid-frame second half of the game against the dallas stars and with a little bit of adversity for the first time in the lineup not having nikolai ehlers a shakeup with all three defense pairings I love the way the team came out, especially in the first period. And I'm sure the Avalanche would say they didn't like their first. Um, but, you know, hey, listen, the Jets went out, got it done, staked themselves to that 2-0 lead and put themselves in a position where they were very, very much in the game. Now, you knew that at times the Avalanche were going to have a big, big pushback. They got one early in the second period. Jets, to their credit, regained the lead. And a little bit of, well, I, I was say a penalty uh, trouble. I mean, I still can't believe that chintzy slashing call that they gave to Mason Appleton, but it is what it is. And the next thing you know, it was 3-3 and the Jets were going into the third period. And, you know, the Jets didn't, I, I didn't think that they generated a ton in the third period, but they also, with a few exceptions, did a pretty good job of maintaining their composure, staying in their structure and helping Connor Hellebuck out. Hellebuck did make a couple of massive saves. One point blank, one one-timer in particular in the late third period, I thought was a huge part point in the game because that easily could have turned that two points into zero in a regulation loss. But in the past, Remo, that's the way things have gone for the Winnipeg Jets. And I have to think that for a guy like Neil Pion, for a player like Mason Appleton, for Cole Perfetti, Sam Gagne, for the second line, there was a lot to like about that game. And a lot to build on especially considering they got the result that they were hoping for and that was two points yeah two points uh for keeping track of the jacket it was at pionk and wheeler getting the what the unsung hero jacket and the player of the game jacket and i you know we look at the lines mason appleton getting promoted to the top line it wasn't sam gagne like it was in the morning skate that was just a placeholder and Mason Appleton played, he rose to the occasion, played well, and he had that play in overtime, rubbing out um, Nathan McKinnon to spring Pionk for the goal. Uh, he ended up with two assists. I mean, you got to be pumped about that. And, like, you're playing against Colorado. Um, There's going to be shifts, like the ones on the, the two Ranton and goals, where you're struggling to get the puck out. They're moving around. They have so many good players with McKinnon, uh, Ranton, Nikushkin, Makar, Taves. I mean, it is good. It is tough. And, there were two times there where, again, they struggled to get it. You're waving at the puck. You've been on for a while. You're tired. And they got theirs. If, but if you limit those chances, you can limit uh, Colorado's effectiveness. Um, they were you know, slightly outshot, what, 33-28. But I think for most of the game, uh, aside for those two shifts, they battled hard. They gave themselves a chance to win and put themselves in a great spot. And I think you were you said to me earlier, you know, sometimes we take – uh, Connor Hellebuck for granted, but he's definitely excellent. And in this win and the win against uh, the Rangers, when they need saves, he is there uh, stopping guys in big moments. Yeah, you, you don't win without goaltending. And that is one thing the Winnipeg Jets, I think, can count on. Although, speaking of goaltending, we'll see Big Save Dave. We're expecting to see Big Save Dave tonight making his regular season debut for the Winnipeg Jets after finishing up that preseason with that brilliant shutout against the Calgary Flames. All right, we're going to hear from Coach Arneal in a minute. And by the way, a little WST welcome to our guy, Jeremy, who's helping us behind the scenes today from the long list of our good friend Alex's team. He's from Team Alex, if you will. Uh, and 
when uh, Remo decides that uh, it's time to grow the family and is away for a little bit, Jeremy's going to be hanging out. So I did want to give him a, uh, a big welcome. And of course, everyone that's with us right now, you just saw it on that screen. If you haven't already, make sure you hit that red subscribe button. And of course, you can always get Winnipeg Sports Talk on the audio podcast as well. If you're with us on YouTube, go to wherever you get your favorite podcast and just search Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, and that sucker will drop in usually just after 3 p.m. when we finish the show, just in time for your ride home. Um, okay, just, Jamie, if you want to get those clips ready, we'll go one through four. Uh, but just before we do that, I want to drop the why not question of the day, because it is something that we're going to be talking about, a very interesting start to overtime. And uh, it was unconventional. Um, it was not something I expected, but man, it worked out for the Winnipeg Jets. And that, of course, was starting with Pionk, but Mason Appleton and Adam Lowry um, to essentially try to handle Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. Um, we know the way that it worked out right now, but interested in your thoughts. Uh, uh, would you start overtime in particular situations with two defensively responsible checking players to try to get through. Hit us up in the comments uh, for our why not question of the day right now. Uh, but we're going to hear from Scott uh, from uh, Scott O'Neill right now. And he talked about the decision of starting Appleton and Lowry in three-on-three -three overtime last night. Here's the acting head coach of the Jets. Uh, yeah, we did it. We were trying to do it most of the game. We wanted Lau against, uh, against the McKinnon line. We did Can it I four and four as well. And, oh, yeah, you know, I can just, hear you uh, for a while there, every time we started Lau on faceoffs, they weren't putting their the big line out there. And so, you know what, uh, that was their matchup. We wanted that line to go Maybe. against them. And then uh, Apple has you know, had a real strong game playing with Scheif and those guys. And just we just wanted to make sure that we uh, nullified what they were throwing at us in the, that first shift. All right. So there's Scott O'Neill with the decision to uh, throw out Appleton and Lowry. And essentially, exactly as he said, trying to nullify them on their first shift. And you know, would you do that normally? No. But, you know, from where I'm sitting, Remus, uh, Mikhail McCarr in particular, never mind Nate, Nate McKinnon, is such a special player that at three-on-three three can do so many things. You kind of have to be thinking survival through that first minute to 90 seconds. And, I mean, the ironic thing about it was they didn't even get to the point where they could survive that shift so that Shifley and Connor could come out maybe against a different uh, a different matchup, one that had kind of really taken it to them at times last week. Because, of course, Neil Pionk had that rocket into the top corner. Um, as I said, very unconventional. But considering the situation and the guys that they were going through, um, surviving those first couple minutes of overtime or even getting it to a shootout, I think probably played into the Winnipeg Jets' hands. Kind of funny that we didn't get to see it because – was such a good decision they scored 30 seconds in yeah they looked at uh, maybe shot attempts and saw connor shifley had a lot uh shot attempts on ice against lowry appleton more defensively responsible players personally for me i said earlier when they threw those guys out i was not in favor i would have never done that um i think three on three overtime there's a lot of ice out there a lot of skating you want to have your best players on and I enjoyed Murat's tweet right before. Uh, Lowry Appleton is such an odd choice to me. You want to play defense in OT, take the puck and keep it. I tend to believe him. I tend to agree with that. And then he tweeted after, forget everything I said once they scored. I think it worked out. I think it's something you're not going to do every time. No, I don't think it worked. It definitely worked out. It's something I wouldn't do every time. 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't do that. So, uh, but what do I know? I'm sitting here in my basement streaming on YouTube, not behind the bench of an NHL hockey team. I'm curious uh, if they would do that in the future. But I think if you, I think OT, there's a lot of ice, a lot of space. You got to be focused on on getting the puck, not playing defense. Um, that's, Kenny's that's water bottle. Kenny's water bottle in chat. It's funny. Fans okay with starting Lowry, Appleton, and Pionk in OT because the Jets won. Imagine if Colorado had scored to start OT. Fans would be wanting coaches fired. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. You know what? Listen, the coaches can't do things because of what people in the chat room think. I mean, for crying out loud, if that was the case, Sammy Niku would be the captain of the Winnipeg Jets right now. And, uh, you know, there'd be a lot of things that would have been that would have been changed over the years. I'm joking, of course, about that. Um but to me, this was all about trying to survive, much like the third period was trying to get it to overtime and withstand the push to the Colorado Avalanche. I think Scott O'Neill believed that Mason Appleton and Adam Lowry gave him the best chance of getting it past that first minute and that first shift with McCarr and McKinnon and then give his top scores the best opportunity. Because to be honest, I mean, if we've seen before, Remo, at times, I mean, is Kyle Connor or Mark Shifley making that play along the wall to get that puck? Probably not. And I, I mean, that's the one thing that I will stand on. This was a calculated decision to try to limit the possibility of those guys ending it on that first shift. And uh, the funny thing about it was, was such a great play along the wall by Appleton to spring La Pionk and Lowry, uh, they actually ended up getting it. The shot by Pionk, um, a huge, huge game for the Pionky Tonk man with that goal early on. And then the winner was a big, big part of the game. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, but here's the next one from Scott Arneal. Uh, clip number two, Jer. Um, just spoke about the game, the ups and downs hanging on, and of course, coming away with two points. Yeah, I mean, it was for, you know, what was it? Uh, you know, 34 minutes. We were pretty good. And it was like that after that last time out in the second period, we kind of. They got momentum, crowd got into it, they got going, you know, uh, we turned some pucks over in our end of the rink and, uh, you know, they got it back, but the big thing there, the, sort of the message going to the third was that we were in a tie game on the road, uh, you know, just stick to what we had done for most of the game and that was our details, kind of the stuff I talked about this morning, our details, our, our compete, uh, you know, just protecting our net front and found a way to win found a way to win indeed a big two points and i have to think and we'll talk about this kent kent with ken a little bit later on reem um you know considering the nightmares that this team has had in colorado over the last few seasons and particularly that game last year where they were up three nothing and then it was a literal avalanche for those final two periods i think they gave up seven in a row to survive the push of the avalanche to get it to overtime and to get the two points the way they did this early in the season has to bode well for the collective psyche of a team that I think, you know, is still learning more about themselves, learning more about what they're capable of under this new structure. But the bottom line is when you're making big changes and significant changes, you need some good things to happen to reinforce those. And uh, the result last night, I think, certainly would fall into that category. Oh, yeah, I think you ought to be pumped. Uh, one thing that we've liked to see is, Rewarding the fourth line with ice time and the win against the Rangers. You saw the fourth line get in there and check and score the go-ahead goal with Sam Gagne. You saw um, them trust in Appleton and Lowry in overtime, and they reward them with a goal. And even in the you know final minutes uh, of the game yesterday, um, you know more of a collective team. Everyone's you know has a role. Um, they've preached we're a family, and I think you see that uh, a lot 
with the way they've acted, what off the ice, just from what we've seen on the social media posts, what what they've said. So, yeah, I think this is a big road trip at the start of the year. They had the BAMF trip to bring them together. Now this road trip, you can end it with uh, you know, another two points here on back-to-back. That would be, uh, be pretty awesome. Ooh, uh, L.A. had a tough back-to-back early this week in Detroit and Nashville and were able to come out in overtime and actually in both of those. So I don't think it's out of the question here for the Jets to grab another two points. We'll have to wait and see what the lineup is, Hustler. Um not sure about Nikolai Ehlers status, the late, you know, the game time decision. He didn't get called into the game. Uh, they went with Appleton. We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But we're also anticipating uh, David Riddich getting the start as a second game back to back. Yeah, we'll see what big save Dave has uh, for the fans tonight in his first start in the regular season for the Winnipeg Jets. All right. We'll hear from our Neil on Perfetti Dubois and Wheeler a little bit later on, and maybe a little bit more from Neil Pionk. Uh, but we're going to bring on Mike Kelly, one of our favorites from the NHL Network, to uh, to chat it up uh, about the early start to the season and his thoughts on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, just before we do that, I want to give a big shout-out to our friends at Consolidated Supply, the turf irrigation, artificial turf, and golf cart experts working with golf courses for decades here in Manitoba and now can help you with your property lawn, both at home or away on the cottage, even with watering systems that'll take care of business when you're not there. Uh, of course, if you are thinking about maybe that dream putting green in the backyard, our pal Joe over at Consolidated can certainly help you with that. And while you're thinking about that project, think about hot tubs, an amazing selection of beautiful high-end hot tubs over at Consolidated Supply. And of course, they've also... Uh, also got amazing outdoor kitchens, barbecues, and more. Find out what Consolidated Supply can do for you. You can check them out online at cte.ca. They're $13.95, Niagara Road East. Uh, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, of course, is the uh, home of the best prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products, and groceries, with Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products as well. And with the kids back in school right now, a great spot for school-friendly snacks and lunch items and great immunity products like vitamin C and D. And for those of you on the go, they've got delicious, healthy lunch options like Vitamarket soups, salads, and sandwiches ready to go in their grab-and-go deli. Vita Health Fresh Market, empowering people to lead healthy lives with seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge and online at myvita.ca. And a big shout out to our friends at Wallace and Wallace. You know that they're fencing experts for decades here in Winnipeg. You've seen their fences and trucks all over the city. What you might not have known is they're also the leader in overhead and garage doors, working with Clopay, the world's leading overhead door manufacturer, with 161 styles. They've certainly got one that's right for your home. And of course, a new over garage door can add up to 4% to the value of your home as well. Uh, find out more at their showroom over on Lawson Road or find out more at wallacedoors.com and, of course, wallacefences.com for all your home and business security needs. All right, looking forward to this one. For the first time this season, we bring in our guy Mike Kelly from the NHL Network now that the puck has dropped on the season. Mike, what's going on? Thanks so much for doing this. It's great to catch up again. Yeah, good to be here, Mr. Patterson. Uh, always like uh, hanging out on your show and um, happy we could do it. It's just great to have hockey back. And man, preseason, it's too long. I just, I can't get into it. Um, 
and uh, I was just waiting for the regular season to get going. So um, this is kind of a fun time of year, I think, because we're kind of approaching five games for every team. You're starting to get, you know, early indications of what might be going on and uh, it's great. So enjoy it. Well, uh, you know, I'll say this. I'm like you most of the time, just get through the preseason and get to game one. But I have to admit, it was very different in Winnipeg this this preseason, this training camp, because of the new sheriff in town and Rick Bonus. And, you know, you had some competition. You had some new players in lineups. And it was also trying to see what the structure of the Winnipeg Jets would be, considering how much work they had to do on the things that really cost them last year in that disappointing season last year. So it was a little bit different. That being said, we're now into the regular season. And we haven't seen Rick Bones behind the bench yet because, unfortunately, no. he was struggling with COVID right before the home opener. Sort of a bizarre way for the team to get going, but uh, a couple of nice results, including a big two points last night and a white knuckle ride in Denver. Yeah, that, that was a fun game to watch. I was uh, in studio over the NHL Network uh, watching that one, and, uh, you know, Winnipeg kind of let them back into the game a little bit, and if you get that avalanche rolling, terrible pun, apologies, um, it, it's usually pretty tough to stop. So they get out on the right side of it in the end, uh, great overtime goal, but um, – yeah, you know, it, we can talk a little bit more about Rick Bonus if you like, as we go here. But I think, you know, early early signs from this team, um, it's too early to really say anything. You know, it's going to be good, and it's been good. Um, and look, you can go to Colorado and, and get two points. Take it however you can get it. That, that's great. Well, no doubt about that. I, you know, we'll get back because there's a very interesting thing that happened in the game that I want to get your perspective on. But, I mean, we talked a lot about the Jets and the things that really sunk them last year. I mean, team defense, attention to detail, puck management, and there's all things I think that we agreed that this team needed to needed to change. Um, from a, if, The one thing that didn't change very much was the personnel. I mean, there's a few new players, but for the most part, they've sort of run it back, even – you know, with players that we thought might be on their way out. Mike, how big of an effect can Rick Bonus and his new coaching staff, do you think, have on a team with a lot of talent that disappointed last season? I think he can have enough of an effect to get this team back into the playoffs. And that's that's where I think they should be. You look at the, the roster, and at the very least, they should be right in the thick of battling for a playoff spot. Maybe you get in, maybe you don't. But um, better results than we've seen in the past. And I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Andrew, talking about what's kind of plagued this team a little bit. They can score. Um, their top six is really good. Uh, Connor Hellebuck's an elite goalie still, really good. Their team defense has been abysmal the last few years, and they give up way too many chances, um, way too often. And the one thing about Rick Bonus, you know, he's been around a long time, and, and he's back in the head coaching role now, is – I think because in, in Dallas, they, they emphasize team defense so much and the team did struggle to score some time. He kind of got labeled a bit as a defense guy. I think there's more to that with Rick Bonus. I think that's oversimplistic. Um, I know that he prioritizes just having a really good checking game. And that's not running around and hitting everybody and playing like the Bash Brothers and the Mighty Ducks. It's about being above the puck and getting good sticks and lanes in every zone. Uh, and those are critical elements to winning hockey games. And, and every coach should prioritize those things. But I know he does. And I know that's what he wants to try to get out of this team. That will help them be better defensively. And it will lead to offensive opportunities. So, I mean, look at the overtime goal, right? Mason Appleton, good position on McKinnon, squeezes him off on the boards. You go up the ice, you score a goal. Um, that's where I think he can have a positive effect on this team. And if they can just be average defensively with the goaltending they have, with the forwards that they have, 
They should be right in that mix for a playoff spot. And that's where they should be. Mike, okay, let's talk about the overtime because, I mean, I certainly wasn't the only one that, you know, saw the uh, go out and, you know, oh, there's McKinnon, uh, there's McCarr, there's Rettinen. Well, wait a second. Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton are the two forwards? It was, I mean, a very unconventional strategy. And Scott Arneal said they, you know, wanted to give themselves a best chance of basically negating those players who were so dangerous. Um what did you think of that decision? Obviously, it worked out, but how unusual is that? And, you know, considering what the Jets were going up against, what did you think about the way they deployed their forwards right out of the gate in the three-on-three? It's a zero-sum game with coaching, right? It worked, so it was a great decision. And if it didn't work, we'd be having a different conversation. Um, yeah, I, I didn't hear any of the post-game comments, but that makes sense, right? Because my thought in seeing that when it was happening in real time was I think the idea here, and you see some teams do this, is try to win the draw, control the puck, move it around, try to eat 45 seconds of time and get those guys off the ice. And then you can go out and have a preferable offensive matchup. Um, you know, with maybe the thinking being that our top offensive guys against theirs, they still have the advantage because Colorado with three guys has the advantage over everybody in the league. So maybe that was the thinking there. Now they lost the draw. Randon had a good chance from the slot. Uh, didn't go in, but they're able to turn the puck up ice and, and score the overtime goal. So, um, you know, Lowry is often used in defensive situations, and he certainly was in that game. Uh, the Shifley line with Appleton on it was used in defensive situations in that game. So those are the guys you're going to put out there if you want to play that way. Um, so I understand it from that from that end. And like I said, it worked, right? So genius. <laughs> no doubt about it. Mike Kelly from the NHL Network with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Uh, we didn't see Nikolai Ehlers last night, unfortunately, and he's still a game-time decision for this evening's game in Sin City against the Vegas Golden Knights. So it was Mason Appleton who had his best game of the year, getting an opportunity to play with the big boys in Shifley and Connor, and obviously impactful on a couple of goals, both actually, ironically, being out with Adam Lowry. Um, but Connor, Shifley, Ehlers, Mike, what are your expectations for that line? How good can they be? And um, where would they rank amongst the best lines in the National Hockey League when they're going? Yeah, I expect them to be really good. Um, and they should rank among the top half of top lines in the league when you look at what those three guys are able to do. And, you know, as you well know, and so do Jets fans listening to this, like Paul Maurice oftentimes liked to put Nick Ehlers in a, in a bit of a lower role and, and try to get those mismatches, right, against other forward lines deeper down other D pairings deeper down because Nick Ehlers is good. He can eat those guys alive and he did. And so that's, that's a, a philosophy that, that had some success and that's great. Nick Ehlers to me is a top line talent. And so I, I like the idea. I don't think Maurice was wrong. It's just a different approach. I like the idea, load up a top line, go to work and, and beat the other top lines. So, you know, Nick Ehlers, one of the best puck moving puck transitioning forwards in the NHL, right? Exits, entries off the rush, dynamic and elite, a good playmaker also. Mark Shifley, that good all-around center, he can kind of do it all, um, a top-end guy. Uh, and Kyle Connor, just phenomenal skater, great shot, terrific elite goal scorer. So when you put all those elements together, it's not three of the same guy. It's elite traits brought by everybody that should produce a really successful line. And we'll have to wait and see, but Early returns when they've been together this season, still very early. Um, positive chance differential, expected goal differential when they're out there, as it should be. Um, but it's a line that I'm excited. You look around the league, it's a line that I'm excited to see what they can do together uh, over a bigger sample size. Well, I mean, 
Speaking of small sample sizes, we're only three games in right now, and there's not a lot to go on. But um, from the nine-plus periods the Jets have played, um, from what you've seen, Mike, um, what do you make of the changes structurally? Are they on the right track? Well, they've been better. Uh, again, we're, we're talking small sample, but that's all we can do right now. Um, they, they've been better defensively, closer to average. And like I said, I think that could be okay for them. Uh, the goaltending has been really strong, and, and that's good. Um, and, and I expect from what I've seen so far, based on the opportunities that Winnipeg has created and, and the quality of them, that uh, the even strength scoring could even be a little bit higher. So I like the process, though, is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, the one thing that I think we'll have to watch for and revisit this in another few games is the penalty kill. Um, I think I think it's 71 point something percent right now. So not great. But man, they, they've they've been giving up a lot of looks on the penalty kill uh, expected goals against right at the bottom of the league in that area. So um, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and, and the schedules, it's going to get a little tough over the next uh, several games. So I, I'd keep an eye on that. But um Early returns, and again, it's tough because Ehlers is such a key piece and, and he missed a game also and it jumbled the lines, but um, early returns is, is the team looks pretty good and they certainly look a little bit better defensively in terms of what they're allowing. Hey, just a systems questions for you because you're a great guy to ask on this. You mentioned the penalty kill and, and last night, you know, on one of the goals that Colorado scored, it seemed like the PK was literally just boxed in right in front of Connor Hellebuck. I mean, they just kept re re retreating and retreating. Um, and then they still were able to get a spot to rent in right in front of the net. Going up against a power play like the Colorado Avalanche, I mean, one of the most elite power plays in the league that whips the puck around at elite speed. What what's the, I mean, I guess it's a if everyone knew the simple answer, it would be a lot easier that they had a 50% power play clip coming into the game. But what is the key to give yourself the best chance to survive two minutes against a team like the Colorado Avalanche at five on four? Don't take penalties. <laughs> it's like have a good goalie yeah, yeah have a good goalie have two goalies in the net um you bring up a great point though right like if someone knew how to stop it well then great but the the thing that 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 makes that power play pretty special in my view is um so landis cogs out right and he's a great net front presence one of the best at deflecting pucks in the league um plays that role so well val nachushkin has been such a key on that pen on that power play this season for them and miko rantanen and, you know, a lot of times I talk about elite players in the league and really dissecting their game. Um, you can find areas where they're like, yep, Crosby's the best at that or, or McKinnon's the best at that. Rantanen, it's not so much that he's the best at anything that I measure anyways that is a, you know, kind of a key performance indicator. He's really good in a lot of areas. And one thing that he might be the best at, though, is making passes under pressure and into tight spaces. And that's exactly what he did on that, uh, on that goal, right? And... So you talk about like you box in and you just try to take away that middle of the ice. You look at Val Nachushkin, some of the power play goals he scored this season. It's ranting in kind of up towards the top of the right faceoff circle, feeding Nachushkin for these deflection plays in front of the net. And they didn't do that there. And Winnipeg would have been able to protect against that pretty well and how they were playing. Um, but Nachushkin went up and that kind of give and go with Ranton. And they can just, they can, they can beat you in so many different ways. And to me, a great power play is a versatile one where it's not, hey, that's the one-timer threat, and we can block it and guard it because we know it's coming. Um, there's so much skill on that power play. I, I don't know. I don't know what a one-size-fits-all approach would be to trying to defend it. If I did, <laughs> I'd probably be behind an NHL bench right now and not in a hotel room in New Jersey. Hire Mike Kelly, folks. Um, 
Hey, just quickly on the abs. I mean, they have had, you know, a lot of turnover. I mean, no Nazem Kadri, uh, Burakovsky's in. Uh, just how close do you think this team is to the team that won the championship last year? And uh, are they still your clear favorite in the Central, in the West? And are they your favorite in the NHL? I think they've earned that, right? Um, I, I do believe they've probably taken a, a little bit of a step back because how could you not? You lose Kadri, you lose Burakovsky. Um, and you look, you bring in Rodriguez, Sam Girard's back. He wasn't there for so much of that cup run. Um, you know, if they were 99 before, maybe they're a little less now, but they're still the elite of the elite. And I don't just default to, well, last year's cup winner should be the favorite this year automatically. I think Calgary's right in that mix. I kind of, I picked Calgary to win the West last year. Um, maybe I was a year too early is all that was, but maybe I was just dead wrong too. So um, I, I like the abs a lot. And you know, I still think that I know they're giving Alex Newhook a big look at that number two center spot, um, earn the opportunity as a young player. And if he can do it, that's the best fit. Evan Rodriguez, to me, is someone who needs to touch the puck to be effective offensively. You'd think you can say that about every player, but I've done research on this and I do believe it matters more for certain guys. And he's a guy where it does matter. And when he played center with the Penguins at the start of last season, because everybody was injured down the middle, uh, he put up great results at even strength. He was really good on the power play too. Um, I know they're not going to rush to make that move. For me, it's something I probably would tinker with. But, you know, default to Jared Bednar here is an excellent coach. He won a Stanley Cup. Not going to question him. Um, so, look, I, yeah, I, I still think they're the team to beat. Um, with no Landis Cog, it hurts them a bit. Devon Taves, I don't know what the latest is with him. But if he misses any kind of meaningful time, I mean, that that's that would be – a severe loss because he's one of the best defensemen in the league. Still can't believe they got him for two second rounders, but that's a, that's another conversation entirely. Mike, we're seeing yeah. Vegas for the first time tonight. Um, wh what have you seen so far from Vegas? And uh, what we talked a lot about the effect that Rick bonus has and can have on the Winnipeg jets. What does the arrival of Bruce Cassidy do to uh, Vegas? Yeah, they've looked good. Obviously, I think the big question coming in with Vegas was the goaltending. And, you know, it's too early for any kind of, you know, victory lap. That's not what this is about. But I, I really do believe in Logan Thompson. Uh, I think he can be a good starter for them. They're going to platoon a little bit, obviously, and that's fine. But um, it was a small sample, you know, roughly 20 games before the season. He looked really good, um, just like his game in general, as much as, you know, young goalies uh, with not a lot of experience is voodoo. But uh I think they'll be fine there and they've looked fine there so far. So the rest of the team is there's so much talent on it. And Bruce Cassidy's always gotten a lot out of his teams in Boston. They've defended really well, um, always, you know, finished well in the standings. So um, I just I think that Vegas team with everything that they went through last year and missing the playoffs and why they missed the playoffs. Um, it, I expect them to be a top three team in the division and, and to contend for the division title. That's kind of what they've looked like so far. Um, I just think they're a really good team and, and Cassidy's a good coach. Um, and I do think the goaltending will hold up. So they should be right in that mix. Mike uh, Leafs are in town on Saturday and uh, didn't take long for a lot of noise to get around the blue and white early on the season. Uh, I guess that's Everyone what happens does. when you lose to Montreal and then a home loss to Arizona certainly will get people pretty cranky. Um, just what are your thoughts on everything going on around the Leafs and, some early season struggles that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. I came down to the U S to avoid having to talk about the Leafs so much, but you know what, this is big news <laughs> even down here at the NHL network in the States. So um, 
Look, they're two and two. They started last year worse. They set a franchise record in points. Um, not overly concerned about the Maple Leafs. You know, the Sheldon Keefe stuff, the comment that he made about the elite players and then, um, you know, feeling he had to address it again because he didn't want the media to turn it into to something bigger, what have you. I guess that's what you sign up for in Toronto. It's uh, it's a hot, hot media market. And when things are going well, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. But when it isn't, it's the same thing. So uh, I'm not overly concerned. Um, the Arizona loss was bad. They played turnovers like they, they just didn't play well and Arizona didn't play well either and they won't most nights um and still won so I get why there's you know fans that would be upset about that why they would boo them at the game it's the right to do that uh it's not the result you'd expect against that team um but I still think Toronto is in general going to be fine um Dennis Mulligan to me was never the answer as a second line winger um and and now Nick Robertson is going to get a shot there uh with some cap space opening up so um Nylander and Tavares have been great. I think they're best forwards. Uh, I think Matthews and, and Marner have been good, even though, you know, Austin's not on a 75-goal pace uh, through four games, but he'll be fine. So um, nothing that'll win can't What about cure, their right? goaltending? Like the goal, the, and I still, listen, Jack Campbell signed and he got the term that maybe the Leafs didn't want to give him in Edmonton. Um, but, I mean, I was very skeptical about the Matt Murray deal. He's already out. Uh, you've got Ilya Samsonov coming in that, you know, will really be counted on. Um, how concerning is the goaltending for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, uh, where they stand coming into Winnipeg on Saturday night? Well, Samson Samsonov, I think, because he's going by now, uh, he's been fine. So, um, but again, there's not a great sample of, of long-term success there. Uh, and, and Matt Murray being injured, you know, it's unfortunate and you feel for him, but it's not shocking uh, just based on recent history. So I think you had to prepare for that. And, and Samson all being there is being prepared for that. Um, so I think the Maple Leafs are a good enough team. I think they're a good enough defensive team that they can help insulate whatever goaltending there is there. Like, let's not forget last season, Jack Campbell was an all-star, right? Great start to the season. Very poor finish. Last season, the Maple Leafs, in terms of goals saved above expected, so or if you could hear my phone ring. Um, in terms of isolated goaltending impact, the Maple Leafs were a bottom five team. I think they were fifth worst in the NHL. But they can still be incredibly successful uh, because their defense is good uh, in terms of team defense and their forwards can score so much. What would concern me more with Toronto is the defensive depth uh, on the blue line, like Muzzin and Hole, to me is not a great second pairing. If you are fancying yourself a Stanley cup contender and now Muzzin's out. So it complicates things further. Um, I think that's where the bigger concern will end up being with the team. Um, and look, that'll, that'll show in goaltending too, right? It'll show in goals against, but a couple games, Samsonov's looked fine. So I guess not worried until there's something to worry about. Mike Kelly of the NHL Network with us. Mike, uh, quickly, I just want to ask you, there's a group of teams in the East that have been um, basically getting run over for the better part of the last five years. The Ottawa Senators, the Buffalo Sabres, and the Detroit Red Wings. We joked that the Sens were the off-season champions, and they got to raise the banner. And then Brad Treleving entered the chat with what he did after every, all the <laughs> adversity they've got. So we can have that decision. But as far as the East goes, from what you've seen so far, just the way these teams are built, uh, how would you compare the chances of Ottawa, Buffalo, and Detroit making a big push and at least being relevant in the playoff race in the final month of the season? 
Yeah, I like the way you phrase that. I could see relevant for one of those teams, even a couple of those teams. Um, no question. I don't expect Ottawa to make the playoffs uh, or Detroit or Buffalo. Um, you know, if I was having to bet on it, for instance. Look, everyone was so high on Ottawa. Hey, is, are they going to be a playoff team? Look at their roster now. Look how much they missed the playoffs by last season. Um, that's the gap to make up. They could finish with 15 more points this season, which would be a massive win and still not get to where you would have needed to last year. But the bottom of the East is, is stronger, right? So there's not going to be eight playoff teams with over 100 points this year. The gap is closed. And like Eric Comrie just had a great game uh, for the, the Sabres, getting them a win. Um, the Senators, I mean, that was a crazy game against Boston. They scored seven goals, back and forth hockey. I've got family and friends in Ottawa. They're just excited to have an exciting team to watch. And it's going to be exciting hockey there. And Detroit was my pick for the sneaky team to watch this season in general. Just a team that I think could be in the conversation longer than people think. And that would be a win for them. Um, they've got good young players developing. Uh, I like the goaltend in there enough. You know, sneakily, Yamada comes in, uh, signed him on a, on a, a pretty low deal. Um, and he's played more even strength minutes than any other player on the team right now. He's got four points um and been an effective piece for them so what steve eiserman's doing there is great i don't think it'll happen this year necessarily but that gap is closing like you said and it's just more fun when you've got more teams in the mix later in the year right like we knew what the east was going to be a couple months before the season ended so um it's into great to the see east those teams 15 games into the season last year i mean it, I, i've never seen a playoff <laughs> race with less suspense than the Eastern Conference last year. I mean, there were eight teams that were in. Everyone else had a huge gap. And we know how hard, you know, with the uh, with the loser point, how hard it is right now to make up ground on uh, on teams right now. Mike, this has been awesome. I got to ask you one more. We mentioned the offseason champs, the Ottawa Senators, and then there's the Calgary Flames. Um, just an absolutely wild offseason that started with a lot of doom and gloom when Johnny Gaudreau left without the Flames getting anything. Matthew Kachuk letting him know that he was out of there. And somehow Brad Treleving turns that into Mackenzie Weger, Jonathan Huberto, signs them both to eight-year extensions before they even play a game, and then get Nazem Kadri as a free agent from the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. How would you compare this year's Flames to last year's and could they actually be better this year than they were last season? Yeah, I think they're better. Uh, got a first round pick too, a prospect. Um, unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable given the circumstances. Like you pointed out, right? Gaudreau and Kachuk said, we're going somewhere else now. And everyone knew it. So bye-bye leverage. Um, what Brad Tree Living was able to do, give if there was a grade higher than A+, I'd give him that grade. Uh, it, it was incredible. And I do think they're better. Uh, Mackenzie Weger is such a sneaky, good defenseman. People in Florida know it. People in Calgary, if they don't already know it, they're going to find it out very quickly. Um, he can be a de facto kind of one. And he's had to be when Ekblad's been injured in the past and they've been fine. Topical because Ekblad's now out and they don't have Mackenzie Weger in Florida. That blue line is a mess right now in Florida. So um, I don't know how you could label what Calgary's done as anything other than a grand slam home run. If you could have a five-run home run, that's what it would be. Um, so full marks to them, and I do think they're better. Um, I, I think they're more poised for playoff success. They're, they're to me right now, uh, if you pick a handful of teams to be your top-end Stanley Cup contenders, they're in it without question.
Listen, sorry, I got to ask you about Maurice and the Panthers, considering all the turnover there. I mean, they had this great season. They got a new coach. They got like 13 new players. Um, I, I, I thought that they were could be a team that took a significant step back, to be honest. Um, they've looked pretty good so far this season. Now, what are your thoughts on the Panthers before we go? Yeah, look, they still have a lot of good players there. Uh, I do as much. So if Calgary took a step forward, I agree. Florida took a step back. And uh, I think that they got a little too zeroed in on maybe what they were missing in the postseason when they play a team like Tampa Bay. And, you know, Washington gave them a tough series and you get it pushed out uh, a little bit in the game. So you're like, you know what, Matthew Kachuk. Yes, that is the answer. A big answer for that kind of thing. But what did you have to give up to get him? You, you yeah, what cost? Right. And, and maybe you didn't have plans to bring Huberto back anyways, and maybe there's cap uh, reasons, whatever it might be. Um, but the fact of the matter is Huberto's not there anymore. Uyghur's not there anymore. Mason Marchman isn't there anymore. He's going to pop in Dallas this year. He's been really good for them already. Um, and so, again, you look at the blue line now, and Ekblad, you couldn't have predicted an injury at this point. But, again, he's a guy who's had injury uh, issues, so you, you want to hopefully be prepared for that. Um, I, I think Florida – is in need of a move uh, to, to address some of what they're missing. Uh, but they've got, you know, cap issues as well as most teams do in the league. So I'm with you. I think they're going to be fighting it for a while. Mike, this has been so much fun. Thank you very much for jumping on. It's always a pleasure uh, getting inside your uh, your brain, talking NHL. Uh, just for folks that, um, you know, would like to more from you, um, fill people in on uh, what you got cooking at the NHL Network and uh, everything else. Yeah, thank you. Most people don't want to have anything to do with getting inside of my brain, and I don't blame them. So I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, it's fun We're down here at the network right now. So you can follow me on Twitter if you want to, at Mike Kelly NHL, um, kind of more stats video type uh, analysis that I do if you're interested in that stuff. But uh, it's cool. Yeah, I did a I did a demo. I was uh, I had a lot of fun doing with Kevin Weeks yesterday. We talked about. Um, short side sharp angle goals just players picking that spot uh, more than ever and why they're doing it why they've been able to do it what goalers goalies are doing to combat it right now um so it was a cool discussion and then weeks he was demoing kind of what the goalies are thinking uh in the net too we strapped the pads on and uh, it was fun so i always like being down here they give us kind of leeway uh, and a lot of time to do the things we want to do and uh it's a fun place to be so check Say it out on the Network. people's insider yeah, say what's up to the That's people's right. insider from uh, all of his fans here in Winnipeg. What a beauty he is. Mike, thanks again for doing this. Keep up the great work, and uh, hopefully we can do this again later on this season. Yeah, 100%. I was hoping weeks he'd get some breaking news on the desk so he could go like behind a curtain, and, and uh, I could see one of, his, uh, one of his tweets in person, how he does it. But good people to work with, and uh, yeah, happy to chat again anytime. Thanks. No doubt it. Thanks so much. Mike Kelly, NHL Network. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mike Kelly NHL. Um, again, thoughts for the not Autocorp. Why not question of the day in the uh, in the uh, comments of the YouTube channel today. What do you did you think of the decision that ended up looking pretty good after uh, the winning goal was scored? of um, the very unconventional start to overtime with Appleton and Lowry. Interested in your thoughts on that. Uh, big Big Tesla event over at Not Autocorp all weekend going until Monday at 9 p.m. If you get the opportunity, if you have ever thought about getting into an electric vehicle, this is the time to do it. 30 Teslas on the lot, reduced pricing, plus an extra $1,000 in finance credits or gift cards. 
no gas, fully electric. Um, we've told you about the Tesla Experience program that Not Autocorp has at my Tesla Winnipeg. They have been the leaders for a good 10 years in electric vehicles. And now with Teslas becoming more and more common on the streets, many people thinking about that move from a traditional vehicle to an electric vehicle. This is the weekend to do it. Get on down to Waverly and McGilvery. If fuel, uh, high fuel prices got you down, why not go electric and save one to $200 a week, depending on how much you drive with no gas ever again? Not Autocorp Tesla event this weekend, Waverly and McGilvery. And you can find out more online at not.ca. Um, our friends at Royal Sports are ready for the season. Of course, we will get to those retro reverse jerseys that were dropped a little later on today. But whether it's a retro reverse, a heritage, a Regular Winnipeg Jets jersey, Royal Sports has it all. And it's not just the Winnipeg Jets, the entire National Hockey League. Winnipeg Blue Bombers gear, all 32 NFL teams represented. Not to mention Major League Baseball, NBA, Raptors gear, and a huge selection of Team Canada merchandise as we are back in the World Cup, which begins, I believe, a month from today in Qatar. Uh, and of course, they're the hockey superstore for over 40 years with hockey players working in the shop to help you and the hockey player in your family get the right fit and the right equipment to dominate on the ice this season. Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. And make sure to check them out online and on Instagram, I should say, at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And uh, had a good chat with our pal Andrew at uh, F Apparel. Uh, they're busy right now getting into the, uh, well, kind of close to the holiday season. Uh, but guys, right now, Many people already planning for their weddings for next year. And if you are in a wedding party or involved in one, this is the time to get down to F Apparel. Book your wedding party suits and get fitted by the end of November. Everyone in the uh, in the wedding party will save 10% and get a free shirt. Savings of up to $130 per person. And of course, they've also got a great buy one, get one 30% off suit sale right now with custom suits starting at $400. If you're looking for a big wardrobe refresh or you're someone that wears a suit on a daily basis for your job, F Apparel has got you covered with the best prices and the best looking custom suits in Winnipeg. Pop down and see a 190 Smith Street downtown or online and you can make an appointment at app, that's ephapparel.com. All right, Lawman's coming up a little bit later on, but right now let's head to Denver before he gets to Vegas for tonight's tilt between the Jets and Vegas Golden Knights, and welcome in our pal, Weeb's World himself, Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Weber, what's going on? Uh, great to be with you, uh, Huss. Uh, thanks for the audible. Uh, yes, we got the flight to Vegas and straight to the arena, and... Should be another fun tilt. Uh, this has been an interesting road trip so far and uh, another stiff test for the Winnipeg Jets uh, on the horizon here. Uh, listen, two points is two points, but let's kind of break down the game overall and what we saw last night before we talk about this challenge against the Vegas Golden Knights this evening. Um, overall, I, I actually really like the way the Jets played. Um, that being said, you're going up against the Colorado Avalanche, <laughs> one of the most talented teams in the league, and at some point, they are going to take it to you. And they did. The Pucks win in the net. But I was impressed with the Jets' resiliency, especially into the third period, hanging on. I mean, the white-knuckle ride, it truly was, especially there in that final 10 minutes of the hockey game. Uh, and then we'll get to OT and what happened there. But um, did you see it sort of the same way? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, having been fortunate enough to cover the Avalanche during their Stanley Cup run, you know that this is what they do. I mean, they can crank it up with the best of them in the NHL. They are the gold standard. And yes, there were a couple of shifts where they had the Jets running around on extended shifts and an inability to clear the puck out of the zone cost them on two occasions. But I don't think that in terms of their structure, in terms of what they were giving up, I think they actually did a pretty decent job. Did they generate enough in the third period? Probably not. But that's what happens when you're going against a team that's as, as high octane and talented as the Colorado Avalanche. In terms of their structural play, I actually didn't mind them. And I thought they kept a, you know, a decent amount of uh, the shots from the outside. I mean, Connor Hellbuck had to play very well. But to me, Huss, I, I think the Jets actually, for the first 34 minutes, actually there were long swaths of the game where they actually dictated the terms of the play. And that's incredibly hard to do against a team like Colorado. So obviously a great start building the 2-0 and 3-1 leads. And did it get a little bit furry for them at the end? Of course. But uh, overall, I would say, based on how the Jets played Monday versus Wednesday, to me, it was night and day when it came to the structure, when it came to their forecheck, when it came to their skating ability, and a lot of the things that we had been looking for, Huss, that hadn't happened that much in the first two games, were there in spades in game three, despite missing Nikolai Ehlers, who was one of their most impactful players. Well, and speaking of the the loss of Ehlers, I mean, now, what did you think about the way that line, that top line looked? I mean, it was interesting. I mean, we kind of thought that it was Sam Gagne. He was a placeholder, obviously. They did make the move once they knew Ehlers was out, and... Mason Appleton, I'll say this, and it wasn't just that line, but Appleton in particular and the second line seemed to get the puck into the blue paint and, you know, get some wax, obviously created a little bit of offense as well, but they didn't make it easy for the Colorado Avalanche. And, you know, when the Jets are stagnant, they're kept to the perimeter, and I didn't think that they were caught like that very much, uh, at least when they had the puck in the offensive zone. Sure, has uh, jet skated incredibly well. When it comes to Appleton, clearly his best game of the season. I thought he was pretty solid in game one. Uh, game two, their line was a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit underwhelming, if you will. Uh, I thought Appleton was excellent. He was using his speed. He was using his feet. He was getting in on the four check. He was winning battles along the wall. Uh, and he provided a really solid defensive conscience for that line with Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. Uh, you know, they had a tough matchup for a, for a chunk of the game. I mean, obviously, Adam Lowry went up against McKinnon quite regularly. But, I mean, the Shifley line had to go up against them uh, for a fair amount of time as well. Uh, I thought they were very good. Uh, I thought Appleton was very involved. Obviously, his offense came at four-on-four four and at three-on-three three while playing with Adam Lowry. But in terms of Appleton's play, I thought he was uh, was excellent. Uh, I know that yesterday, the afternoon, uh, the afternoon uh, Twitter machine was uh, was rife with controversy on who might move up. But I mean, Scott O'Neill did say uh, to members of the media after the morning skate to not read too much into the lines that were used in the morning. Uh, Appleton, you know, he stepped up when he needed to and uh, made a couple of really headsy, heady plays in the game. Uh, the pass to Pionk for the one-timer at four-on-four four was excellent. And honestly, the seal on McKinnon Huss, that looks like a normal play in in, re, in real time or in slow motion, but the ability to time that so perfectly and to be able to get the seal on McKinnon along the wall to not only prevent him from getting possession of the puck, but for virtually taking him out of the play entirely and kicking the puck forward on that two-on-one that led to the goal. That was an incredibly astute and smart hockey play. And basically he's doing it against one of the top five players in the NHL he made it look like McKinnon would get the first touch. Then he gets the hit on him, and then the Jets transition in, in offense and get the job done. I mean, we know a lot of people were 
uh, maybe scratching their heads a little bit when it came to the, uh, we always talk about deployment, Huss. Uh, if it had, if even if it hadn't worked out for the Jets, I mean, I think the deployment shows you that they were, you know, they, they took a little bit of a defensive mentality, but they end up getting the goal. And, and that's the thing about strategizing. I mean, the thing for the, you know, coaches sometimes see things differently uh, than, than the fans and, and us in the media as well. Uh, but, you know, obviously that was a, I, like I wrote in sports.ca, it was a combination of, you know, going with your gut and maybe taking a calculated risk and that calculated risk or decision uh, paid off for the Winnipeg Jets uh, when Neil Pionk uh, blasted that slapper past Alexander Georgiev. Well, from from my perspective, Ken, I mean, yeah, listen, I, like many people, was like, holy smokes, this is uh, rather unconventional, starting it off with uh, Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton um, going up against McKinnon and, uh, you know, and Makar. But in retrospect, I mean, obviously it worked, so it looks brilliant right now. Um, I think that they and Scott O'Neill was just looking to survive that first shift, uh, you know, going up against those guys. And to be perfectly honest, uh, I don't mind the decision in that particular instance because, I mean, matched up against the top guys on the Winnipeg Jets, those guys had their way quite a bit. I mean, it was some of the non-top-line players, I think, that really made a difference last night for the Winnipeg Jets. And listen, if you're worried about getting the second point, you've got one in the bank, the best thing that you can do is survive Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon and then maybe give your top guys like a Mark Shifley and a Kyle Connor the chance to win it after that. Ironically, they never got the chance to do it because you mentioned that brilliant play by Appleton springing Pionk and Lowry and uh, the Pionky Tonk man goes uh, top shelf, uh, two goals, and they got the win. I was going to say, how so there should be a gift by now or uh, of, of Pionk with the guitar slamming it over top of the net Let, let's see if let's see if the creative folks in the chat room can get something going because i did see there was a funny uh a picture of pionk's head on the honky tonk yes. man with the old shake rattle and roll outfit from the vintage uh wrestling days which i certainly appreciate for sure the little general dropped that one out there shout <laughs> yeah. out to eric that was yeah. uh, that absolutely Tre- made my night tremendous stuff right there uh, and let, let's stay on Pionk for a minute, Huss. I mean, that's the other part too. Sorry, just wrapping up the three-on-three. Three. I mean, if the Jets are able to survive, and you know, Scott O'Neill did say one of the reasons Lowry went out was because he had been so good in the face-off circle, and possession is such a big part of three-on-three three, that if the Jets had even been able to get possession for the majority of that shift, then you toss over uh, Shifley and Connor with Josh Morrissey, and you're probably going against a, you know, no offense, there's lots of great players in the Avalanche, but no better three than the ones who were on the ice for that first shift. So uh, there was some, you know, you know, cat and mouse happening there for sure. Uh, when it comes to Neil Pionk, I mean, we've been talking about this for months. The Jets need Neil Pionk to have a bounce back season. Uh, his first two games, I would say, were kind of mediocre uh, at best. So he needed a big game. I know at five on five, people are looking at the analytics and I understand why. Like if you play against McKinnon, chances are pretty good you're going to be getting caved in on the shot attempts meter. That's just the way that it goes. Uh, It's hard to drive play against a line like that, especially when they had those two extended shifts where they, you know, that that led directly to goals. There were tons of opportunities happening there after the possession. But Pionk, not just because he had the two goals, Huss, he was very impactful in terms of his assertiveness. He was very aggressive. He was back to the Neil Pionk, we saw those first two years, you know, making quick reads, 
hitting and pinning along the boards. He doesn't have to look for the big booming hit that's going to try to knock a guy out in open ice, but his ability to, to seal off plays along the wall, his puck movement was better. Uh, I thought that he looked, you know, there's going to be, there are going to be time required. There's going to be time required for the pairings to settle in. Josh has spent the majority of the last year and change, almost two years, playing with Dylan DeMello. Yes, there was a stretch with Nate Schmidt, but Pionk and Morrissey have not played together for extended stretches of time. So they're going to enjoy playing with one another, but it's going to take some time to get the reads. And it's not exactly an easy testing ground when you're being asked to go up against that McKinnon line. I mean, that's one of the toughest assignments in hockey. And yes, that assignment was shared with Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt, who I also, you know, I've been, I've been pounding the drum for this pairing for a long time. And I thought they were excellent in the game as well. And obviously the other change on the back end saw Dylan Sandberg step in, play 15-25 of smart hockey with Dylan DeMello and did exactly what a guy who is in a competition needs to do. Make a bunch of smart, subtle plays. Don't get noticed on the bad end of a highlight reel goal and just played a steady game. I thought he was also a little bit more assertive in the game as well. Well, for sure. And let's talk about Sandberg because that was one of the big stories going into last night. There it is. <laughs> the Pianchi talk, man. For those of you watching this on YouTube, Lars, the little general 04. Give him a follow just for that. Um, okay, we need we need a guitar in that thing. I mean, that that is, it's almost it's almost perfect. It's like that's like a 95 percent or 98 percentile. We need a, a top two percenter gets the guitar in that shot. No doubt about it. Um but as far as Samber goes, I mean, we talked yesterday about what a big opportunity this was and almost, I mean, the biggest test you could have going up against a team like the Avalanche. And I got to be honest, Ken, I thought he passed with flying colors. He looked confident out there. He was composed, um, played a significant amount of time against a great team and, you know, did not really have any major struggles. Um, To me, this was a huge step forward for Dylan Sandberg grabbing that sixth spot and becoming a regular as opposed to having it be a decision as to who's in game after game. Yeah, for sure, Huss. I mean, that was an important uh, step in the process for sure. I mean, obviously, we know the competition doesn't end after one game, just like it didn't end after six reg- or preseason games or exhibition games. But that was definitely a, the type of game that puts you ahead of the jockeying for position. Uh, I thought Sandberg was really composed, as you mentioned, uh, you know, playing with Dylan DeMello, he has been a guy who, you know, prior to being, you know, re- reconnected with Josh Morrissey, had handled that role. I mean, let, Logan Stanley played his best hockey alongside Dylan DeMello. I mean, he's been a guy who's been a bit of a stabilizing force um, for a lot of the pairings that he's been on. So I like the way the, pair, or the pairings uh, shook out. Uh, I would expect the same same sort of deal against the Vegas Golden Knights. And I'd like to see them stick with these pairings for a while and see how, the, how things get worked out on those fronts. The thing is, Huss, when you're, when you're a young guy like Sandberg, you can't constantly be looking over your shoulder, but you also can't afford to be a one good, one bad, one good, one bad. I mean, now it's all about stacking that type of effort on a regular and consistent basis. That's how he will win that battle for the sixth job. I don't know if you heard it, but Jared Bednar was talking about this when he was being asked about the fourth line changes uh, on the after the morning skate on Wednesday. He said, guys can come in and play well for, for small stretches and, and really give you everything that they possibly have, but you're not looking for guys to just hold down ice time or take minutes up. You need guys that, that can make an impact on the game. And I actually think that Dylan Sandberg did make an impact on the game, even though 
There isn't, you know, there isn't the, the type of flash and dash necessarily, but it's the smart, subtle exits. And the, then the really smart plays, the good reads, you know, clearing out the front of the net is something the Jets didn't do very well. Uh, didn't do a very good job at against the Dallas Stars. Uh, I thought that they did a good job of impeding the Colorado Avalanche from getting to the paint for second and third and fourth opportunities. Uh, you know, there weren't a ton of you know point screen shots that got through like we saw against Dallas with the two goals there uh, from Hayeskinen and Hockenpah. So I think that was a, that was a major step forward for the collective group on the Jets back end. And Dylan Sandberg obviously had an impact uh, on those fronts as well. Ken Weave is Sportsnet with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily, uh, following up the Jets' 4-3 OT win in Colorado and getting ready for tonight's late-night tilt in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Ken, um, I think we got to talk about the psyche of this team for a minute. And, <laughs> you know, like many people, and I mean, like I, I make a point of staying off Twitter because the doom and gloom every time, you know, a couple <laughs> bad shifts goes is just so over the top. I mean, you knew this was a big, big test. Um Last year, they were up 3 nothing after 3 and got absolutely pasted for the remaining of the 40 minutes. I think it ended up 6-3 or 7-3. This one had the potential of going that way. Um, the way they played and the way they held on in the third period and getting that two points, um, how big is that for the collective psyche of the Winnipeg Jets early in this season to win a game like that? That, To be honest, they probably haven't won for the last couple of years. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Paul Edmonds had the stat. I think the Jets had lost eight of nine in Colorado going into the game on Wednesday night. So, uh, Huss, it was jet, it was definitely poised for the Wiley Coyote steamroller right over top where he goes into the cement and drops down. Uh, that was definitely something that some folks who were watching were probably pondering and uh, wondering if that were going to was going to happen once again. Uh, but the Jets showed some steely resolve and, I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I think early in the season, we're always looking for the smallest clues and wanting to turn them into the biggest things. Just like about a, a lot of people thought, oh, well, now they, they played terrible in Dallas. Now back to the drawing board. They'll never get this figured out. I mean, we're going to need a wider, wider lens to look through this, whether it's 10 games, uh, 20 games, we'll see in terms of how they're picking up the systems. But us, if you can go stand in the middle of the ring and go toe-to-toe, with the heavyweights of the NHL, like the Jets are being asked to do in their first, you know, some of the heavyweights in the first five games. Yes, it can certainly help and pay some dividends down the road. It's one of those things where you always go back to the memory bank, right? So when you go to the memory bank, us, you're right. A lot of people, if they were thinking about last year in that dressing room after one period or after the second period, you might have been tempted to think, Oh boy! Well, this is going to turn into a you know six-three affair in a snap of a finger. The fact that the Jets were able to stay within their structure and manage to hang on, I think, is important for them. I mean, what I, I don't think it, we were always looking at measuring sticks. I don't consider yesterday to be a statement game. I think it's too early for statements, but it is something that can help the Jets down the road. If you see them do that with a little bit more regularity. I would say it's more of a foundational game than a statement game to me. It's part of the pouring of the concrete for the for the for the four pillars. Us, that's an important pillar to pour. Easy for you to say, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like that, that's an important step in the in the foundation building for a group that is looking to lay down a much more solid foundation than we've seen in the last couple of seasons. 
pouring of the concrete. That is, <laughs> I mean, that is just wonderful stuff, Kenny. <laughs> well, listen, can they uh, can they crank out the cement mixer and pour a little bit more tonight? <laughs> um, I think anybody, uh, any Jets fan looking at this schedule with back-to-back -back games against Colorado and then in Vegas would have probably happily taken a split. But now that they've got the two points, um, a little bit of a good mojo, probably some real excitement in that room. Early in the season, they haven't played a ton of hockey. What do you make of this challenge tonight? And can they get greedy and maybe mine another couple points out of uh, out of the desert? Well, it, it makes sense that I use the uh, the uh, concrete te uh, theme going over to Vegas, right? I mean, a lot of construction being happening <laughs> has been happening in Vegas, especially with the Legion Stadium going up the last couple of of years here. That beautiful uh, multi billion dollar facility uh, in the in Sin City. Uh, you know, it's an important uh, game too. I mean. What's left in the tank? I think obviously what we saw yesterday, another one of those developments, Huss. Fourth line's on the ice with just over a minute left in a tie game. I mean, they didn't have a ton of ice time during the game, but uh, Axel Janssen-Fialbi was out on the ice with, I think, 106 their shift started. I mean, that that line survived. I thought David Gustafson was steady again. Oh, and they, got Sam... put out, they got put out right after the Avalanche tied the game up at three as well, and I thought it had a good yeah. shift. and. You know, that sort of confidence in a fourth line. And it's something that I think good teams do. They play all their players. They don't just lean on one or two lines. And um, listen, as I said, they probably could go. There was penalties. There was penalty killing PK, which probably hampered some of their five-on-five -five ice time. But you mentioned the situations that those players were given the opportunity to go out. And the way that they handled those situations, I think, bodes very well for the fourth line and the team and the confidence that the coaching staff early on is putting into all members of the roster. Yeah, and my point being there, Huss, that fourth line is going to have to play more today because they were under eight minutes as a collective. They're going to need to play. They're going to have to give the Jets some early shifts. Those guys are going to have probably a little bit, uh, you know, fresher legs than some of the other top-end guys that had the heavier minutes yesterday. But I think the other development, Huss, that we need to discuss quickly the play of that second line. I mean, that's the best game they played by a long shot yeah, out of the far. first three. Cole Perfetti, that may have been his best game as a Jet. Scott O'Neill referenced it as saying he thought it was the best game he has seen Cole play. And, you know, having watched many of Cole's games myself, us, or all of them, I do agree. I think it was his best game. And you know what? I think it was important for Cole Perfetti to have that kind of a game because he struggled with the pace against Dallas on Monday. He, he got hit again from behind, a, a tough hit. I didn't think he was skating all that well, but he got his legs going in the game early. And again, this is not a criticism of Cole Perfetti. There are going to be lots of nights as a 20-year-old when you don't have your A set of wheels with you when you start the hockey game. Yesterday, he was ready right out of the gate. He made that exceptional cross-ice pass to Sam Gagne, who got it over to Lowry, got it back, batted it in for that important second unit power play marker that kind of got the Jets going. And then Perfetti shows the finishing ability. And what a pass by Wheeler. Oh, wow. His, his subtle ability to freeze the netminder and get it over. I mean, you're not going to get an easier goal. I mean, <laughs> the net is like virtually the cage is yawning, as they like to say. Perfetti doing a nice job to bury it. I know he didn't hit it fully, but he did the job. He got it. In, That's how good the pass was. You could fan exactly, out and it was still going was in the net. Exactly, exactly. And Hus for Perfetti, it's so important because we know last year when he came up for the second time and he was playing with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor, he was generating a lot of opportunities for himself and his line mates 
but the production wasn't there. So now you go into game three, you get a multi-point game, you're skating really well, and now you're feeling a lot of, like you said before, that mojo, you're feeling good almost every time you get on the ice. Obviously, Pierre-Luc Dubois, again, was in was in one of those games where he was engaged, drawing penalties, taking penalties, coincidental minors. You know the you double holding? <laughs> yeah. When was the last yeah, time there was a double holding? I would say the odds of that were very slim. <laughs> We'd have to go deep, deep, deep into the archives for some historical films to pull to pull pull out the last time holding you saw minors. that hus. But uh, what are you calling you know, that? again, great great effort by that second line on a night where we know the Shifley line had a tough matchup for a good chunk of it against McKinnon. Uh, so important for that line to step up. Hus, everything we talked about after Game Two on our post game show. No offense from the blue line. Pionk scores twice. Almost no secondary scoring. Well, the second, I mean, the second line still is primary scoring, but, but you get my point. The top line handling the of the scoring through the first two games. Second line has their best game. Neil Pionk scores twice. Yes, Mason Appleton was playing on the top line, but both of his points came while playing with Adam Lowry. So I think there was a was a complementary scoring element to on both of those goals. And the other thing, too, the structure is the most important part of us. We've been talking all week, and Rick Bonus is tired about it, of talking about it, even though he wasn't there. You know, Scott O'Neill knows we've been bringing up the past and, you know, people reverting into old habits. But I loved what O'Neill said after the morning skate, Huss. I mean, even though the Jets were pretty good during the preseason, they knew there was like, – this is an 82-game process, Huss, to get your systems implemented and locked down. Six exhibition games was never going to be enough to turn the Jets into a leaky defensive team, into a defensive juggernaut. So the fact that they are taking some strides – I would say would be encouraging for them, for the coaching staff, for the players. But back to your original point, I mean, the reason why yesterday is or yesterday is important for the Jets is because they didn't revert to bad habits. They stuck to what they're trying to do. Their forwards were covering high as the defense were getting involved. And they didn't really get running around other than those you know, two extended shifts that led directly to goals. Yeah, and, and listen, credit where credit's due. Connor Hallibuck had another big game, and you almost sort of mm -hmm. take him for granted at times. And, you know, while the third period, I thought they did a pretty good job of maintaining their structure and holding on. There was a couple. I mean, there was that one point-blank shot. I can't remember who got it out from the back. That, that was probably their best chance. Had it, got it through. And listen, you know, in the past, and I know not to go back to other years, I mean, you know, often one of those have gone in when it seems like everything is caving in on the Winnipeg Jets, and that did not happen last night. And he, of course, was a big, big part of it. I want to get back to Perfetti, though, for a minute, because I'm going to be very interested to see him tonight. Um, it's pretty clear that, you know, opposition, the opposition so far this season has been really trying to test Cole Perfetti physically. Um, they've been trying to hit him. They've been giving him a few little extra whacks and, you know, just testing how tough that he is. Um, I thought that he acquitted himself really well last night in the game. I mean, with some of those battles that maybe he'd had a tough time in before. Uh, but I think that this challenge tonight against Vegas in particular is going to be, um, you know, maybe moving up a weight class, if you will, as far as the physicality and what he's going to need to handle. And obviously, I think it's part of the reason why you've got Wheeler and especially Dubois on his line. But um how important is it for Cole Perfetti to get used to the physical attention that he's going to be getting on a daily basis right now if he's going to be a regular in the top six for the Winnipeg Jets? 
Yeah, for sure, Hudson. When you're in that role, you're playing against a lot of guys who are physical. It was Josh Manson, I think, who got him uh, along the wall there. It was that was on, in the Wednesday game, a really good hit. But Perfetti, Perfetti popped right back up, us. I think one thing about Perfetti today that will kind of be a benefit to him is all those three and threes that he played as a member of the Manitoba Moose. Yes, back to backs are taxing and hard on the body, but because he was able to go through that as a young player, I think that will help him as he gets set for the stretch of back-to-backs where the Jets have a couple here in the next, you know, this week and next. So I think, it, you know, obviously Paul's going to need to get into a position where he's not getting hit as hard as often, but this is a guy who's not afraid to take a hit to make a play. And that's a very important quality as well when you're playing with those skilled players on the top six, because if that defenseman is coming up at you and make and kind of pinching at the offensive blue line or at the defensive blue line, if you get the puck past him, it's going to be an odd man rush. So sometimes defensemen are going to have to weigh the you know risk-reward balance when it comes to trying to go and throw that big hit, whether it's on Perfetti or Wheeler or anybody else who's out there. But I think Perfetti's handling it pretty well. Again, if you're the Jets, do you want him getting hit hard once a game? Of course not. But I think this is something that, you know, it's a fast game. Perfetti still has only, you know, that's three games, uh, five preseason and the, the games and the young stars, I mean, he hasn't played a ton of hockey still since February. So I think he's getting that adjustment down. And I don't expect Perfetti to be getting uh, hit hard with regularity as the season rolls on here. Yes, he's going to be getting attention because he's playing in the top six. But I don't think he's going to be putting himself in a position where he's going to be, you know, risking injury by getting hit constantly. Can again, too, it's very he's too smart. He's too smart. Well, it, it, you know exactly. I mean, then using the uh, that noggin to keep himself out of dangerous situations, and um, you know, obviously move the puck and put it into spots where they can score is, is the his bread and butter and look good so far. Uh, again, we're very early in the season. We don't have a lot to work on, but I am interested in your thoughts. First of all, on that third line, was that the biggest line the Jets have ever thrown out there <laughs> with Lowry, Barron, and Menelina? And and what have you seen from Menelina? We talked a lot about him in the preseason. Now that Things are for real. How have you liked his game Get him coming back to the NHL? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about that on Press Row yesterday. Uh, I'm pretty sure that must have been. It's certainly the tallest in terms of height. Maybe the maybe there might have been a weight. You know, I, even I, I think Thorburn, Slater, and Tanner Glass, I don't think that the, the weight oh, would, have, no. would have blown them away. Obviously, Thorburn was a big, Maybe when big, Buff was guy. playing forward, depending on who he was up, he can sort of even that out quite quickly. Yeah, fair, fair point by you there. But uh, I liked a lot of what we saw from that line. I've liked Menelainen from the very beginning. And, and this is something, I mean, the Jets have a couple of players where you're, you're trying to figure out what they're fully going to be capable of. Morgan Barron, I thought, was a, had a steady game. Uh, but again, is he is he a physical guy? Is he going to be a guy that scores? Is he going to be an eight-goal scorer or a 15-goal scorer? I think it's still too early to figure that out. I think he's also settling into his game. Uh, we know what Lowry brings. That third line is you know going to have to contribute a little bit more offensively. But you know when you're going up against one of the top offensive teams in the league, you're not always going to be asked to score. So to me, Menelainen has shown exactly what we've seen from the first time. Us, you were standing beside me when I saw Menelainen <laughs> for the first time. This guy can move. He's a big body. He's physical. He can kill penalties. And he gives you an excellent effort. And I think there is some, there's some skill. You can see the skill on display. But again, this is a guy who's getting comfortable at the NHL level. I expect him to be able to contribute a little bit more offense but I've liked a lot of his game. He brings an element the Jets don't have a ton of. Everyone thinks, well, the Jets are this big physical team like they were in 2018 or even 2015 when they got swept by Anaheim. 
That's not what the Jets are. They've got a couple guys who can throw big hits, but they're not a big physical team that wears you down. But a guy like Menelainen, playing especially with a guy like Lowry and a bigger guy like Barron, they can wear an, an opposition down, even if they're not running you through the end boards because they can make like difficult on them because of their skating ability and ability to get on pucks and forecheck ferociously a la Matthew Perot style. Kenny, uh, before we go, I mean, this has been such a weird start to the season. I mean, certainly losing Nikolai Ehlers was somewhat unexpected, but um, the loss of the head coach. I mean, we still haven't seen Rick Bonus on the bench. Um, we know that he's been watching all the games, and we hope that he's feeling much better, and we'll see him on the bench on Saturday night when the Jets host the Maple Leafs. Uh, but what do you think Rick Bonus was thinking? What, 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 did Rick Bo- what would have Rick's takeaways been of that game last night? And what do you think he's uh, texting or FaceTiming with Arnie today ahead of tonight's tilt with the Knights? Yeah, Scott O'Neill, uh, when, when, I, when I think we was asked about the defense pairings, he said, well, well, there was a guy at home that watched the game three times and he wanted to make a few changes. So uh, I would imagine that, uh, you know, it's obviously very difficult for Rick Bonus. I mean, he's a guy who, I mean, would have been so excited for a, the return behind the bench in Winnipeg. B, game two being in Dallas. I mean, the schedule maker, you know, couldn't have drawn it up any better, basically. But, I mean, here we go, Huss. I mean, he's 67 years old. you got to take care of your health first. And, you know, you would have had a, you know, a flight to Denver, then a flight to Vegas, then a flight home. I think it's a, a smart move. You don't want to be getting worn down early in the season. Uh, we know Rick has an enormous amount of energy and an abundance of energy. And uh, I think that, you know, being behind the bench for your first home game back in Jets Point 2.0 against the Toronto Maple Leafs on a Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, he would have preferred to be behind the bench on the first four, but it's a pretty, pretty, pretty big stage to be stepping onto. Uh, you know, he's been involved, you know, in the Zoom meetings, in the decision making, and he'll be very excited to be back behind the bench. What would he think thought about yesterday? I think he would have thought there were a lot of strides taken, especially considering how the Jets played against Dallas. Uh, but again, now the coach is thinking what's going to happen in the next night. I mean, the, the one thing about the schedule us, that would have been a game where if you're a coach, I mean, the Jets have had a couple of extended breaks already, right? They had a week between the exhibition and the opener. Then they had two games between games one and two. That's a game where you feel good and you don't mind sitting around because you have all those good things that you can look at. But you know, early in the year, even you know Jared Bednar was saying the same thing. The Avalanche were you know two and one going into the game, and he had lots of things that he'd like to correct. So the correction phase is going to be ongoing. But Rick Bonus would have to be thrilled with the way the Jets responded, and now he's going to hope that they stack another one in Vegas, where we expect to see David Riddick between the pipes. Us, we won't know about Nikolai Ehlers till around you know six thirty ish Central Time. Uh, Brad Lauer scheduled to meet with the media in Vegas. So we'll be uh, we'll be firing that up on the old Twitter machine uh, once things get settled uh, down at T-Mobile Arena. Yeah, and we have, big, a, we have big, a chance to say hello to our friends, the Lawman and Shane Knighty. Yes, indeed, Lawman coming up a little later on in the program. Well, uh, always fun to catch up with Gary. Um, hey, just before we go, how relieved were you to be doing Kenny and Rennie without a full? Uh, a full rehearsal for a game production for a hockey team the next day or a complete arena changeover. Um, you've dealt with a lot early in the season, Ken. That's a lot of early adversity for the Kenny and Rennie show. There's no doubt about that. But uh, battle through, found a way to keep it a little more stable. Uh, it, was, it was you know good to be in the same building as Sean. 
that's for sure. We were on different different sides of the rink. Uh, it was very nice. The Zamboni got done early. There was no leaf blower. There was no <laughs> there was no audio that I had to try to battle through. Didn't have to mute my microphone. I think at all during the hour that we were on. Uh, we're excited about being uh, having everybody with us, and uh, it's been a fun start to the year so far. And you know, that's the beauty. Game four of eighty two, and and then see what happens. But uh, there's been a lot of great engagement. Uh, on your show, on our show, on uh, on all the shows on these platforms. Uh, what, one thing we know about Jets fans, they're very passionate and they're not afraid to give their opinion, whether it's a flaming hot take or a measured one. <laughs> oh, tons of measured ones these days for sure, Ken. Uh, hey, great stuff. Travel safe. Enjoy this game tonight. And we'll look forward to a little late night or I guess it'll technically be early morning KNR tonight in Winnipeg after the Jets take on the Golden Knights. And we'll see you back at the ring for a big one on Saturday. Yeah, thanks for having me, Huss. Uh, fun, uh, fun weekend ahead, that's for sure. All right, great stuff with Weber on his way to Vegas for tonight's tilt with the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to head to Sin City in just a minute and hook up with our pal Gary Lawless. Really looking forward to that. Uh, before we do that, of course, slow day for the Bombers, but a busy week for the Bombers getting Zach Calero signed. We'll See if there's any more to the Justin Dunk report on uh, Willie Jefferson working on an extension. But all eyes on the Bombers' final regular season game on the 28th and, of course, the West final on November 13th. Princess Auto Tailgate Zone, the place to be before the game. $5 beers, $3.50 popping hot dogs, DJ Finesse spinning, and the best atmosphere outside of a stadium in the Canadian Football League. Of course, Princess Auto, great sponsors of ours and the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Check them out at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West, or shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Uh, our friends at Culligan Water, kind of perfect that we just had the most hydrated man in sports media, Ken Weave, join us. Uh, and, of course, Kenny, big Culligan guy, I'm sure, because Culligan has been the water experts in Winnipeg, family-owned and doing it for over 65 years with water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Culligan Water, they're at 1200 Sargent Avenue, 694-5180. You can check out all their products and services online at drinkculligan.com. Well, all you whiskey lovers, heads up on this one, folks. Um, the last couple of years, we've had the pleasure of working with our friends at Canadian Club on the Canadian Club Chronicles series. And coming up next, early next month, will be the official release of the fifth and final release in the CC Chronicles series, the Canadian Club 45-year-old which will be dropping at the Spirits of Distinction release that Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries hosts every November. Only 80 bottles available in the market, so keep your eyes out on that. And listen, if you're popping by your local beer store, don't forget that CC and Ginger Ready to Drink in cans is available in six packs at your local uh, beer store. And of course, all the great Canadian Club products available at your Manitoba Liquor Marts. Canadian Club, official sponsor of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And just before we go to Vegas... Uh, to bring in the lawman, of course, we do have Thursday night football tonight. Interesting game between the two and four cards, two and four Saints tonight, and then Jets, Golden Knights. No better place to make a night of it than your local Boston pizza. And while you're there, you'll have an opportunity to enter to win a trip for two 
to Vegas to see the Raiders play and a bonus Golden Knights game. First trip, November 11th to 13th. Second trip, New Year's Eve weekend. Watch the NFL and enter to win at all. Winnipeg, Portage, Selkirk, Morden, and Steinbach, Boston Pizza locations. All right. Spent a lot of time talking about the win last night. Right back at it tonight. We're expecting Big Save Dave to get his first start for the Winnipeg Jets. But let's check in on uh, the Golden Knights and our good friend Gary Lawless. Lawman, what's going on, man? Great to have you back on the program. Why are you at the doctor's office? The doctor's office? Yeah. I mean, you think you, they got a Mortal looks, Kombat? It looks like you're in the lobby of a, of a doctor's office there. <laughs> with the, uh... No. <laughs> Definitely not. I, I wish a I wish a doctor's office had NBA Jam and Mortal Kombat in the back. That would be uh, make the uh, the entire process uh, a little bit more fun. I want a bottle of that forty five year old CC. Yeah, I know you do. I think everyone does. That's uh, well, you're a bit. I mean, forty five. We did have the forty two, and the forty three. I think, and I think last year we did a promo with them on a bottle of the 44, which is just an unbelievable one. This is the final one of the series. And uh, you're, how is the high life in Vegas before we get to this game right now? What, uh, still uh, running with the uh, top floor penthouse operation? <laughs> Things are good here. It's been uh, interesting off season and Dave Gosher is upset. I don't have headphones that fit into this computer. So I have to just, uh, I have to do it live and, the voice of the Golden Knights, Dave Gosher, is not happy about it. But um, oh, and Shane Shane Knighty says I should be using Bluetooth. I'm getting hassled, hustler. We better we better move on to a, some good topics here. Say what's up to the fellas. Great to uh, great to see that, and we'll look forward to uh, the game this evening. Um, we'll tell you know our, our entire focus around Winnipeg for the last month of training camp and the preseason has been Rick Bonus, the new sheriff in town, what he's trying to do. Tell us what. Uh, life after pete is like and what bruce cassidy's brought to the organization well bruce's uh, accountability is kind of the word we've heard from the players right from the very beginning and uh, he hasn't been shy uh, there's been a couple of big name veterans marcia so and kessel they've both been parked at certain situations uh uh if he didn't like the way they were handling the, the defensive end of their game or puck management so it's uh Play Bruce's way or or don't play seems to be uh, a big part of what he's brought so far. System-wise, he's changed some things, but uh, their players are still kind of working their way through that. I think they're getting closer to to having that down pat, and that th that will. I think there were some mistakes that occurred in the last game as a result of uh, of some system wrinkles kind of rearing their ugly head, but that that'll get worked out real quick. You know, um, listen, it was a disappointing season, an unexpected one for the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, you know, there was a lot of uh, a lot of navel gazing around here in Winnipeg and expected big changes. Many of them didn't happen, but so much has been about the coach. And, you know, obviously we'll get to the Jets in a bit. But over the course of the summer, with the hiring of Cassidy and considering the injuries and everything that the team went through last year, I mean, what were the big stories outside of, just the obvious having a new bench boss uh, around the Golden Knights coming into a puck drop for the season. Well, I think health, you know what I mean? Like Robin Leonard is not going to play this year, but everybody else is, is back and healthy. And you know, Mark Stone only played in 37 games last year. Jack Eichel only played in 34. Uh, Alec Martinez 
missed a ton of hockey last year and it just that that list just went on and on and on and on so the fact that they had all that time to get healthy big storyline for them uh, also you know i mean everybody mark stone said that when he went back to canada for the summer everybody walked up to him and told him you guys stink and you're not going to be a playoff <laughs> team next year and he, you know he just sort of said that's fine he goes we're going to use that to to our for for our own fuel and i think that that the other big thing here is the attitude is that this team is they're hungrier than than they have been in the last couple of years i don't think you're ever going to duplicate what you had in year one but this seems to be a a, a different attitude among, amongst this group than uh, a better one than they've had the last couple of years it's really positive in there it seems to be uh, the group is having fun playing with one another they're three and one that'll help as well when you're winning but so far it's been uh, uh, a real pleasure actually to be around the group they seem to be in a real real fine mindset well you mentioned <clears throat> excuse me gary you mentioned mark stone and i mean i don't think there was a more impactful injury to the vegas golden knights and you could argue maybe in the league last year than the loss of stone um but you know when you're dealing with back injuries and what he went through the work that was done on him you're Always wondering how he will bounce back from it. Uh, what have the early results been for the Manitoba native? He's looked good. You know, I think that I don't know how much time he was able to spend on on his conditioning. I think that might be a little bit of a factor for him early on. He's probably got to get, uh, you know, get his legs really strong underneath him. But uh, he looks, you know, in a lot of ways, he looks like the old Mark Stone. He's getting around the ice way better. He's... Uh, you know, he's got his mind is his hockey mind is so good. He he can think the game better than most, but you've got to be, physically be able to get to those spots. And I think we're seeing that he's taken away a lot of pucks, which is something he didn't do very much of last year. You mentioned having fun. I had to laugh at some of the things that your social media team put out in and around Phil Kessel's birthday. He had the hot dog cake and chuck yucking it up. I mean, tell us about Kessel's arrival. And, uh, you know, as far as what we think, I mean, we're seeing him right up there on the top line with Jack Eichel, who I think has a lot to prove in his first full season. Now, pretty interesting combination considering where those guys were a year ago. Yeah, well, Kessel, you know, I he signed there in Arizona to play for Rick Tockett. And then, and I think that was a good fit, but just, you know, they, they got really bad, really fast. And I think it was really hard for him to play in a situation where, you know, just like they weren't competitive ever. They were one of the worst teams in the NHL and they're headed that way again this year. Although now it's to plan They're They are trying to be, you know, they're taking a full, full blown dive trying to get to Connor Bedard. So, uh, I, I don't think it was fun for Phil in Arizona. I think it's I think it's been fun for him here, uh, and you know he's he's been. Bruce Cassidy said the other day that they showed Phil on their clips as you know good things he'd done defensively. They were showing the rest of the team. He hasn't shot the puck very much, and uh, I think he's you know he's only got one assist so far. So he's going to want to start to produce pretty soon playing on a line with Jack Eichel and Riley Smith. Uh, Gary, one thing that's been a constant ever since the Vegas Golden Knights uh, came into the league is uh, a bunch of Manitoba content uh, starting, of course, with Kelly McCrimmon, never mind the media. Um, 
looks like uh, Keegan Colasar still playing a role and Brett Howden, um, you know, getting a real great opportunity. Fill us in on uh, where those two young men are at and in particular the opportunity for Howden where he's in in the lineup right now. Yeah, well, we'll do the fourth line and, and Colasar. They've, you know, they've played to their identity so far. They've been very good. Colasar already has a goal, but they're, it's, there's no mistaking what their plan is. They, as soon as they get the puck and they get to, uh, the red line, they're starting to look for a good place to to place it so that they can go and get behind the D and rattle some bones and try and uh, uh, try and establish their forecheck and take the puck to the net. And they've done a really good job of that so far. Brett Howden is fascinating. You know, he's uh, he's a lot bigger than I think people realize he is, and he can skate. And he's done a nice job uh, on that line with Stone and Stevenson, all three of them from the Western Hockey League. It's kind of an interesting mix. Stone played minor hockey with Howden's older brother, and Stevenson says about Stone that he's never been more comfortable with any other player his entire life, and that includes his own brother, who he played all his minor hockey with. So there's a lot of chemistry uh, kind of baked in to that to those three guys, and they've been good so far. Brett, Brett has got it. Whether or not he can slow things down, you know, with the puck in the offensive zone and, and not rush things and start to capitalize on a lot of the opportunities he's going to get. He scored the other end against Calgary on a tip. That's the big thing to, to look for from him because he's playing with, uh, you know, Stevenson has really developed into a top 60 and Stone is certainly a guy who can distribute the puck. Can't forget about Zach Whitecloud, who has been one of the great stories in the league the last little while. Uh, you know, he's playing, it looks like, with Nick Haig. And that, that blue line overall, when healthy, um, really right up there with the top units of one to six in the league. Um, but fill us in on uh, how the former MJHL player is uh, doing now that he's uh, got his contract. And he really is an established everyday NHL defenseman. Yeah, Zach is really underrated. Him and Haig, they played together in Chicago in the American League, and they've been mostly paired together uh, during their time in the NHL. Haig played for a while with Petrangelo, but uh, they've got them back. And uh, when Haig just signed a contract, he missed training camp, but he's starting to round into form. They're big, they're physical, they can both skate. Uh, If that's the bottom pair, and I I hesitate to call them that because I don't see them as, I see them both as kind of four fives right now at this stage in their career rather than just a, a five, six, but uh, you know, the, the, they can really, really do a job on other teams when they put their, uh, their bottom six players out against them. So uh, um, good things from two really young players. Well, we talked about the, uh, the Manitoba guys in the lineup for the Knights. I have to ask you, I mean, uh, it's really sad. I mean, the amount of injuries that Nolan Patrick's dealt with, but uh, what's the yeah. outlook for Patrick right now? I mean, is that pretty much he won't play this season? And um, how concerned are uh, everyone around him in the Knights uh, about his uh, hockey career going forward? Yeah, I have nothing to report on that. They have not, uh, there hasn't been any talk about, uh, about Nolan at all. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully he's able to, you know, have good health just as a civilian, let alone as a hockey player. That's the first and most important thing, and uh, that's certainly that's what that's what you hope for for Nolan right now. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Gary Lawless, Vegas Golden Knights insider with us on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. I know you mentioned that you saw the game last night. Uh, what have you thought about the uh, the Jets so far this season and that uh, two points they escaped Colorado with last night? Well, they still have a you know a great forward group. You, you know, you start with Connor Shifley, Perfetti, Wheeler, Dubois. You know, some uh, Ehlers is hurt right now, but that top six that's as good as it gets. They can. Uh, they're big. They're fast. They can play any way you want to play. Um, they're dangerous. I, I, you know, I think Chevy took some heat for not wanting, not doing much this summer. But what did you want them to do? Uh, like they've got lots of good players. One of the best goalies in the NHL. I'll be surprised if they're not a playoff team. Well, uh, and you know what I mean. Just you know, we've talked a lot about Rick Bonus, and I mean, unfortunately, of course, Bones won't be on the bench tonight, and you know, is waiting till Saturday presumably to make his debut after being out with COVID. Uh, but Cassidy in uh, with you guys in Vegas, Pete DeBoer down in Dallas, Paul Maurice in Florida, a lot of really good, strong teams um, with new coaches and new outlooks. But with that comes a lot of pressure as well. Well, you know, Rick Bonus that and Scott Arneal, that's the big change in Winnipeg, right? And how, what, what effect they can have on this team. And, you know, Rick, obviously taking the C off Blake Wheeler's jersey before training camp started, a pretty big uh, uh, indication that he's going to do things his way. And, uh, you know, at his age, I mean, he's not worried about his next job. He's going to coach. He's going to do who be who he is. And, and I think that's a really good thing for the Jets. And I think the combination of him and Arneal is uh, that's, uh, you know, Scott maybe a little bit more of a tactician than, uh, than Bones. And Bones a real good uh, motivator. I think it's a good tandem. Some wild, I don't know if you caught OT last night, but speaking of tactics, um, listen, that top line of Colorado was so deadly. And I mean, they really did have their way more often than not up against the Jets' top line. Ernie throws out Lowry and Appleton along with Pionk in the three on three. Appleton makes a great defensive play. And 15 seconds later, Neil Pionk's blasting it bent to the back of the net. Uh, not something you see very often, but, uh, you know, against a team like Colorado, I sort of see the uh, the logic behind it. And, Certainly made him look like a genius when uh, they won it on the first shift of OT. Yeah, well, uh, you know, maybe he's thinking that he's going to use those guys to uh, to kill time until Colorado's best guys are off, and then try and win it with Wheeler and Shifley or whoever on the second or third shift. I'm not sure. I don't know. I looked at it and I was like, "What are you doing, Arnie?" And then all of a sudden, the puck was in the net, and uh, and Scott was smiling, and that's like two wins now for him. Since and that, like he went a decade without getting a, a win as a head coach in the National Hockey League, uh, you have to be happy for him. That's a pretty good story. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, Gary Lawless with us now. Gary, I have to ask you, what is this? How is it rubbing shoulders with your good close personal friends, the Blue Man Group, the other day? Uh, it seems like more <laughs> wacky things are happening around your set on a daily basis right now when I tune into night's games. Yeah, tonight, uh, the reverse retro jersey, they're going to feature it in our pregame show. Uh, Resorts World has like a 100,000 square foot, like the, basically the whole front of the hotel is a video board. And they're going to put uh, they're going to put the Vegas reverse retro, the new jersey up on up on that video board before the game. And uh, we'll have a camera there. That'll be pretty cool. I, I was just sitting there minding my own business and the blue man group, those guys were sitting there and they're often in the building. And I just kind of said, Hey, there's the blue man group. And then they just 
stood up and walked on set. I did not know that was going to happen. I think Millard knew. Um, but, uh, you know, it's scary because they're covered in that blue grease paint and everything that touches it, it smudges on it. And I had a, I had a new costume on Hustler right out of the wrapper. Um, and, uh, I was worried about getting paint on it. I kept telling the guy, don't touch me. It was, uh, it was a little <laughs> unnerving, but it was fun nonetheless. Well, it's hilarious. And I, the other thing that I noticed on that clip was you waving your way through a mob of fans, shaking hands, kissing babies, no. signing autographs. The lawless brand has really taken over Sin City, hasn't it? No, not really. I was the, uh, I was the extra behind our, uh, our TV play by play team of Dave Gosher and Shane Knighty. They were, uh, they were really getting the attention Shane had on Shane uh, uh, delivered with a pretty good costume. He had, uh, uh, had a special jacket made up for the, for the event. We call it the gold carpet in Vegas. And uh, um, yeah, I was just the extra, but, uh, but fun to do it. And uh, I'm always surprised when someone knows my name. So it was fun to do it for sure. Uh, Lawman, uh, got to ask you quickly about the Pacific division. Um, certainly we expect the Vegas Golden Knights to be back contending for the top of that division. And then you've got those two teams in Alberta and Edmonton, added a goaltender. They already had Dreisaitl and, uh, and uh, obviously Connor McDavid. The Calgary offseason was as fascinating as any I can remember in the National Hockey League in a long time. You know, it served up that turd sandwich by Gaudreau and then Kachuk and turning that into Mackenzie Wieger, Jonathan Huberto, signing them to eight-year deals before they even play a game with the Flames and then getting Kadri. Um, from your perspective... Fill us in on that hierarchy and the battle within the Pacific Division. And are those the top three teams, and who is next? Well, I think those are the, the three top teams. The interesting thing in Calgary for me is, so Calgary, they lost. Monaghan left, Gaudreau, and Tuchuk. And then in comes Uyghur, Kadri, and Huberto. And Monaghan was already kind of, like on his own island with, where, where Daryl Sutter was concerned, he was no longer a factor. So, like, did Calgary get did, – did somehow Brad Treliving make his team better? They're certainly better at center ice. Probably not as good on the wing, but better on the blue line as well with the addition of Uyghur. That's a pretty good pairing, Uyghur and, uh, and Tanev, that they roll out uh, for their – and then that Anderson is uh, maybe their best defenseman, Rasmus Anderson. He's really good as well, so – um, they had they listen. They handled Vegas pretty well the other night. Vegas was up two nothing. Took six consecutive minors in the second period. Flames tied it up with two power play goals, and then the Flames took over in the third. Uh, the, the game was on the line, and they showed up and played winning hockey and took the two points. Uh, who comes after those teams? You know, I, I'm not too sure. Uh, LA, I guess, is probably. The best of that group, I don't, Vancouver, they might fire everybody before the week's out. They're panicking already, <laughs> which is kind of bizarre to me. I can't, I can't believe, like, you know, they want to fire Lindy Ruff in New Jersey in the first week. They want to fire Boudreaux in the first week in Vancouver. Like, is Dean Evison in trouble in uh, Minnesota as well? Like, it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Sheldon Keefe, too, oh. lost at home to Arizona. Blow everybody up. Yeah. Uh, it has been yeah. some interesting well, stories around. Uh, 11, the there's been 11, 11 multi-goal leads have been blown already uh, in the NHL. Half this, of them by Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, four, four of the four of them by by Vancouver. 
Um, the other interesting thing, scoring is up through 58 games last year. Scoring was 5.9 goals per game. It's 6.6 right now. Uh, that's that's a that's an interesting trend. Penalties are up a little bit as well uh, through the first 58 games. So it's been fun to watch the watch the hockey. I watched the Jets game and then I flipped it over to TNT last night and watched that uh, watched that show. I watched the Blues and the Kraken and uh, that was a fun game too. You got it. All right, Lawman. Well, before we go, you of course are yes. Everyone, everyone in Winnipeg's favorite go-to guy for Las Vegas. Now, it is unfortunate that the Jets, both of these games against the Knights are in the first month of the season. But for folks that are coming Hold down on. in a couple weeks. I thought you were going to ask me a Blue Bomber question, but I'll, I'll take the Vegas question first. Okay, we will, we'll, we'll hit on the Bombers before the end. But just quickly, for folks that are heading there maybe in a couple weeks for that second game of the season, give us a Gary Lawless-approved restaurant and maybe some sort of exciting new attraction that a lot of people are talking about. Be, be our we'll tour start, guide for people that are coming down. We'll the start game. with the exciting attraction. There is a new band in Vegas, Double Minor is what they're called. Our uh, Dave Gosher, our play-by-play man on TV, is a member of the band, rhythm guitar, and uh, does some singing as well. So uh, if there's a Double Minor gig somewhere in Vegas, you'll see some uh, – You'll see some hockey people at one of those games. Do they have a residency so a on non-game days? <laughs> residency, yeah, at a dive bar called the Sand Dollar. They're playing there on Friday night. Um, you know, uh, there's a uh, – I, I really like Scarpetta at the Cosmo. That's an Italian restaurant. It's probably my my favorite. Uh, uh, you know, there's, listen, there's you can't go wrong. There's a there's a great great restaurant or three or four – in every hotel in Vegas, just pick the pick pick the best one of the, that hotel and go, and you'll have a great time. Great stuff. All right, before we go, you mentioned the Bombers. Yeah. Zach Caleros, three-year extension, fourteen and three, ticket booked for the Western Final on November thirteenth. This is where you really can put your fan hat on. But I mean, who couldn't be a fan of what Walters, Wade Miller, and Mike O'Shea in particular have done so far? Uh, we're getting very close. I try not to mention the D word, but I'll tell you what, if they get it done in Regina on the 20th, we will be absolutely talking about a dynasty. Thoughts on the Bombers on the field and the moves they continue to make off the field to keep this thing rolling. Well, it's you're right. It's, you know, it's theirs to lose. When I worked for the Argos for Don Matthews uh, early on in that season, we had Flutie and Pinball and uh, you know, ton of, just the, the list of players was uh, fantastic. He said, anything less than a great cup will be a disappointment. And I think you can certainly say that about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this year. Uh, if if they don't make it to the great cup, it's a major disappointment. If they go to the great cup and lose, it's a disappointment. So there's pressure on them in that regard. The thing that I wonder about all of these signings, if you're Zach Caleros, are you signing a three-year deal with Winnipeg if you don't know Mike Mike O'Shea's future. Mike O'Shea does not have an extension. So to me, this is a major indication that O'Shea has been able to say to these guys in 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 contract talks, or Walters has been able to say that they're going to get something done with O'Shea. And that is as important as Zach Caleros is and Willie Jefferson. O'Shea is the most important uh, piece of that puzzle. They must have uh, they must be close 
to having something worked out for O'Shea. Otherwise, I don't. I don't, if, if I'm Zach Claros, I don't. I don't sign a three-year deal. But with Winnipeg, when you could go anywhere in the league, if you don't know about Mike O'Shea and his future. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Um, I mean, I do think that they're sort of, you know, intertwined. But if they're making progress on O'Shea, um, not that I think O'Shea would really be looking to go elsewhere. I think he just, you know, wants to be and should be paid accordingly for the incredible run that he's yeah. had. But I'll yeah. tell you what, knowing that the quarterback's going to be there for another three years, I think probably makes the coach feel pretty good about hopefully continuing to uh, keep this band together. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, listen, if Michael Shea is going to coach in the CFL, he's going to coach in Winnipeg. I think that's, I, I think the only other factor is, you know, is there NFL interest? Has, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he has an agent, but, you know, certainly uh, Gil Scott, who represents a ton of people in the CFL and the NFL and is, is in the, around NFL circles all the time, has someone said to him, you know, could this guy come down here and, and, and be a special teams coordinator? or a defensive coordinator. I don't see him being a head coach right away, or maybe an assistant head coach. Like, those guys all make three, four million a year. So, um, I'll be honest, if I had a, if I had a, the way he relates to players and gets players to, to play and the kind of culture that he builds, throw the NFL, CFL part of it out. Mike knows the NFL game. He made an NFL roster as a player. I, that, that to me is a really interesting wrinkle. And I, if, if I was running a team, I'd want to look at the at the guy, the most successful guy in the league, the second best league in the world. I'd want to I'd want to look at how at how he does it and whether or not he could do it for my team. Well, I'll tell you what, that team down the street at Allegiant uh, could use a culture builder like Mike O'Shea a lot better than the guy they've got right you know now. What? I will tell I, you that much. I sat I sat beside Mark Davis at a uh, Van Morrison concert recently. How was his I, hair? Uh, well, we didn't. There wasn't a lot of conversation. It was very focused on the show. So, uh, and I don't, I don't talk about anyone's hair. But that, that's the last thing I should be talking about. I will talk about your glasses, though. They're awful. My God. <laughs> um, I should have said to Mark, uh, you and Gregory once again with the hot takes. Color number one. He's still hot. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Hus. Dude, great stuff, man. Thanks for doing this. Enjoy this game tonight. And uh, Jets are going to be back there in a couple of weeks. Hopefully we can do it again. Uh, say hi to the girls. Uh, hope all is well. And, uh, of course, Shane and the rest of the gang there, too. Will do. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate it. Golden Knights, Jets tonight. There's our guy, Gary Lawless, the Vegas Golden Knights insider. You already follow him, but if you're not already, give him a follow at Gary Lawless. All right. So our guy, DQ Nick, in the house. Great to have Nick pop it in. Of course, Nick of the Nick and Nikki DQ group, great sponsors of ours since day one here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And I know, honestly, as so many of our uh, our listeners and viewers love to do what they can to support our sponsors. And I think it's safe to say that uh, the DQ sponsorship is one of the favorites of uh, everyone. And pop down, grab a blizzard, the amazing stack burgers, chicken fingers, all sorts of great stuff. DQ ice cream novelties as well to go take home for the kids and of course if you've got a party or an event coming up it always goes better with the dq ice cream cake you can hit them up on instagram at dq manitoba let them know what you're looking for they'll custom make a dq ice cream creation for you for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four nick and nicky dqs dq neverville dq northgate dq polo park and dq saint and 
I'll tell you what, a little late night game tonight. Maybe not have too many, but uh, it's always great to enjoy a game with a couple cold Little Brown Jugs. Of course, Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite local beer, proud sponsor of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And you can pick that up at the Tap Room and Brewery down on William Avenue. And, you know, with some expected seasonably warm temperatures over the next few days, still a few days to check out that beautiful patio that hosted us for the first ever Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia Night. If you can't make it down to Little Brown Jug, you can find 1919, the Good Times Variety Pack, and all the Little Brown Jug offerings at your local fine beer store. And, of course, you can also order online, littlebrownjug.ca, with city-wide delivery. All right, we do got to get to the cool bet, uh, cool bet numbers uh, lines before the end of the program. But let's get Michael Remus back in here uh, because we've been waiting to do the retro reverse reboot, and now we've got the Winnipeg Jets version of it. Remo, um, first of all, Mike Kelly, awesome, one of the best, great stuff with Ken, and uh, always fun having the Lawman jump on back with us. Yeah, you had to end that one quickly. You can't be uh, slagging anyone in Vegas, Huss. With, and he's not going to comment on on hair. Come on, Huss. You're putting him in a tough spot. A tough spot You cannot there. mention Mark Davis to me without asking what did his hair look no. like. Because of all no, NFL owners or professional sports owners, for some reason, he cuts his own hair. And that is, uh, I think he's probably got a Floby with him uh, on it at all times. Anyways, yes, the hair crack was... Uh, Maybe that's that was why it. Gary had to press the ejector seat. I don't know. He was busy, he, though. Great he's... to have him in on a game day. Um, all right. Uh, um, Jer, if you can, let's throw this uh, this jersey up. This is the retro, reverse retro, new one, Remo. It's the first Jets 2.0 jersey to feature the 90s logo. What do you think? I like it. Um, they take the current. It's basically just, what, the 90s Jets jersey with the logo we all love takes the striping um i like the the numbers I, I like the number thing uh the best part to me about this jersey has is uh the original one had the goals for kids patch and they updated it so it's now the true north youth foundation patch and they kind of didn't it kind of just tucked that in uh subtly there they didn't really show it i posted a picture of it on the winnipeg sports talk um twitter feed but I think it's. I don't think it's like one of the best ones. I don't think it's the worst one, but it's. I think it's a pretty nice, clean-looking jersey. And if the Jets make the playoffs this year, that is the one you're going to want to be wearing. Uh, wearing. I will say, I do. I think a lot of the biggest complaints from Jets fans we've seen about it is there's there's no red. They're missing the red. Maybe it pops. Oh, there it is. There's the uh, true. That's the True North Youth Foundation logo, yeah. which I think is a really nice. I think that's the best touch. On the we jersey. all remember so the I goals really... for kids patches on the old jerseys. Yeah. Here, I'll I have the original uh, white one here. I don't know if it's better than the original, but I think it's a, a nice. You know, they call it reverse retro. I think it should be like retro remix or something. I think that would reverse. If you no one knows, you say reverse retro. People, everyone's like, what? What does that even mean? Yeah, I don't even know point. what the hell it means as well. But uh, uh, it's, but it's like remix retro right now. Here's these are them, okay. Yeah. These are all the ones. If you're with us on YouTube right now, you can see them. Panthers at the top left looks really cool. Flames makes one. me want to throw up. Um, yeah, that one sucks. What else do we Detroit have? Detroit sucks. The, uh, the Blackhawks yeah. ones weak. Kings is awesome. Uh, ooh, the Canucks yeah, have with to... Johnny Hockey on it. 
Okay, we'll have to describe uh, them for these podcast listeners. I'll give you, give you my top ones. The Panthers is the top one. Baby blue with the palm tree hockey stick logo. Uh, and the, in the style of the 90s jerseys, which they should still be using, their current jersey redesign um, that copies the Habs middle stripes. It sucks. The Habs going with the baby blue jersey, Huss. Instead of uh, white baby blue, going back to Expos baby the blue. The Expos colors. That's uh, uh, that's neat. So the Calgary has a black. So Detroit is just like, remember the white Detroit jerseys that had just Detroit across just Joey Gladstone yeah. wore it on Full House all the time, and now it's like black. It's red <laughs> with black. It sucks. Um, Full House. I'm I don't trying to think. The Calgary orange on the Coyotes, even though I hate the Kachina logo. Yeah. What is that on the yeah, Blues that... jersey? So it's, yeah, the Blues jersey is kind of like an old school. I think they've had that jersey before, maybe at Heritage Game, where it was like baby blue that said St. Louis Blues on it. Now it's a yellow jersey. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, okay. Edmonton, we talked about it earlier this week. It's the oil drop logo, but with orange. It's, I'm not crazy with the orange, but fine. Uh, the Ducks one. You know, just go back to the original Ducks jersey. It's the basically no, that's that, the but whole just... point. They're not just re-releasing old jerseys. They're doing something yeah. new. Like for all the people that are whining about that's, the red, that's like true. guys, they're not doing the same jersey. They are supposed to be different. I was the same thing when they did the last reverse retro, which I actually thought was cool when it first came out, but it's grown on me more and more. I think mm. I still maybe like that one better than this one, but. Listen, they're not knocking it completely out of the park, but I, I sort of do get it. But I think it's important to note that these are not supposed to be just releasing an old retro jersey. That certainly could happen. But this Adidas series is creating something new out of the old and trying to bring it together. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And you're trying to yeah, take an old one, make it make it new again. Um, a couple other wins. The, Buff the, the Bruins brought back the... Pooh Bear logo, which is a good one. I like that one. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I think it was late '90s. Uh, so I, I like the, I like the idea of remixing these retro and making them better. Some of them, I'm not sure if they did. Most of them are wins. We did hear um, that from the Flyers, as you said, Frank Cervelli doing some huge Big J journalism. I mean, this is like breaking news that. The Flyers will be wearing Cooperalls with theirs, but only in warmups. What they couldn't wear them the whole game? Come on, Flyers! Let's Apparently, let's get a game Frank with Cooperalls. It's Bring a safety back. issue. It's a safety issue, safety as reported safety. by NHL Insider. Apparently, they're too slippery. Uh, they're too slippery, so you can't wear them in. But well, we'll pay attention to a warmup for the Philadelphia Flyers one time this year. Uh, I believe they're wearing those a couple times. Uh, anyways, those are all up there. Check out the Winnipeg Sports Talk social feeds, Twitter, Instagram, uh, for all the pictures. Remus did a great job of cranking that out as soon as it was available. All right, before we go, let's check out oh. the cool bet lines for tonight. Get to the hockey in a sec, but we do have pretty interesting football team between two struggling squads, Arizona and the Saints. Cardinals at home, two and a half point favorites. I like them to win this game. We talked about it on the lock shop today. Nukes back, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm expecting him to have a big, big impact. And I do like Arizona uh, to cover the number. And I do actually think this one's going to go over as well. Hopefully, considering how bad these primetime games, it'd be nice to get a few touchdowns mixed in. All right. Busy night, though, in the National Hockey League. Um, Ducks and Bruins. 
in Boston, Bruins minus 222 favorites. Predators minus 143 faves on the road against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Blue Jackets, of course, had that big comeback win against Vancouver earlier in the week. Battle of the Titans here, Remo. Arizona at Montreal. Habs. Habs aren't going to be a minus 172 favorite too many times this season, but that is the case tonight. Who knows? Maybe the Coyotes can continue that heater after beating the Toronto Maple Leafs and going against Montreal. Sharks, Rangers. Rangers, a huge favorite, minus 303. Cap sends. Pal Jeremy's going to that game out in Ottawa. Minus 112 for the Senators. A depleted Caps lineup, minus 104. Penguins, Kings. Great uniform matchup in that one. Uh, minus 189 for Pittsburgh. Kings on the road, plus 157. Stars and Leafs. And I should mention, there's a couple great exclusives in the Cool Bet exclusive page. One is the Hoppy Hour for DeAndre Hopkins. Over 61 and a half yards and an anytime touchdown. It was plus 250. I think it's plus 240 right now. And the here's to you, Mrs. Robertson prop with brothers Jason and Nick going head-to-head, both of them to get a point, paying plus 300. Check the Cool Bet exclusives in the margin for those. Uh, Islanders, Devils, Islanders minus 147 favorites. And, man, this is a wild one, Remo. Someone's got to win. This could be a loser-leaves-town match as far as the coaches go. Vancouver plus 141 after another multi-goal blown lead against the Minnesota Wild, who gave up 20 goals in their first three games. Yeah, that's crazy to me. Um, I think Vancouver's on this long road trip. I'm on Minnesota to bounce back. They got Marc-Andre Fleury. I know it's been a rough start for them in terms of, um, you know, allowing goals, but uh, they'll turn it around. Vancouver, I have no confidence. No confidence in. I do like this, uh, yeah, Montreal uh, against Arizona. That's an interesting one. Sean Monaghan, he's had such a great bounce back season. Uh, First line Montreal guy now. I'll be honest, I'm so focused on all these hockey games. There's like a ton of games. This Carolina-Edmonton game could be a Stanley Cup preview if you go by uh, predictions. But I completely forgot about this Saints-Cardinals Saints game. And I'm trying to think of the other other games that are interesting. Eh, that's... Well, the other ones, I've not even finished because uh, we do have Carolina-Edmonton. Carolina, Edmonton. Carolina mm-hmm. is my uh, cool bet pick of the day. We're going to try and make it three in a row. Shout out to the Blues for getting us the dub last night. Basically a pick them. Uh, Carolina minus 106, Edmonton minus 111. I do like the Canes. I think they're one of the best road teams in the league and match up quite well against Edmonton. Buffalo at Calgary. Buffalo coming off that win back by by Eric Comrie. Calgary, one of the top teams in the league. Heavy home favorite, minus 294. And then our final game of the night, it is the Jets and Vegas Golden Knights. Jets, interestingly enough, opened at plus 175. It's gone down to plus 168. Maybe people are thinking they can carry some momentum in to take on the Knights. Knights, for their part, minus 200. Let's see if we've got what uh, we've got here for goal totals right now. Uh, Kyle Connor plus 150, Eichel plus 142, Shifley plus 210. Uh, do we have, where's Mason Appleton? Appleton plus 410. He's getting some top line minutes. Cole Perfetti, who scored last night, plus 335. And uh, Neil Pionk, the hero last night, plus 770. Of course, folks, all the options are there at CoolBet. And if you like either of those exclusives, click on the CoolBet exclusives in the margin. And uh, make your wagers there. If you haven't played a cool bet before, use the promo code WST. We'll hook you up with a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. Uh, great show today, Remote. Nine o'clock start tonight for the game. 
And uh, we'll be back at it tomorrow with another packed show, looking back at these last two games and getting ready for the Maple Leafs visit on Saturday night for Hockey Night in Canada. Before we go, how are you feeling about this game tonight? The Jets game? Um, I'm yeah, actually feeling a lot better than I was for the last one. I think it's going to be close, competitive. Are they going to win on back-to-back? I'm not sure, but at least we're not hearing that mentality. Oh, it's back-to-back. Uh, we're going from the mountain time scheduled zone to loss. the Pacific time zone. We haven't heard that it's a scheduled loss. So I, I like that, Hus, because I feel like, you know, we hear so much on these back-to-backs before. How it was, yeah, you hear, oh, well, we're going through, we've traveled in how many time zones? prophecy. I, this is the third times, the third game in a row in a different time zone. We haven't, we haven't heard that this year from Thank the team and we God haven't heard about back no, I think the Jets, so, you know, in some ways, I think I, from a fan's perspective, you kind of hope that they could have gotten a win out of these two games. Now they've got one time to get greedy, see if they can squeeze a couple more out of, of the desert uh, going against the golden Knights. And again, as I mentioned, when Lawman was on with us, they are back in Vegas in a couple weeks, I believe on the Halloween weekend, which, uh, would be an amazing time to get out to Sin City. All right, folks, we got to run to get the podcast up. Enjoy the game tonight and make sure to join us tomorrow. Uh, Carlo Koliakovo is going to join us. Really looking forward to having Carlo on. Get the latest on the blue and white before the Jets and Leafs go at it on Saturday night. Uh, we'll also have Brandon Rewicki jump on with us. And, uh, well, of course, we've got to have a visit with Lee Hacksaw Hamilton as well. So a big Friday show coming up tomorrow recapping Jets Vegas and looking ahead to the Saturday night game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Folks, enjoy your evening. Maybe get a nap in. Nine o'clock start. Check out KNR the boys after the show as well. And we'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Thanks for being with us and have a great night. Oh my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.